This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the tools, the information, everything you need for you to go create a healthy, happy life. I know it's not easy. Life's tough. But today, have we got a show for you, man alive. We are going to be talking to an expert about uh, mass shootings. Uh, Professor Dr. Adam Lankford is going to be teaching us, uh, you know, the, what's really going on uh, when somebody goes in and chooses to shoot up and kill and harm a bunch of people. We'll be talking with him in just a few minutes. Also, later in the show, uh, we're going to be teaching you some ways to control your temper. We're doing that for Ben, who, you know, every once in a while just loses it. And uh, later, we'll also talk about when sorry isn't enough, how to actually apologize and uh, what you could expect from an apology. By the way, I need to apologize to the people that took my pictures. <laughs> I was going to ask, how did that go? I'm pretty sure I'm going to be a model now. Yeah. A supermodel. Okay. I mean, it wasn't bad. <laughs> Actually, these guys were incredible because you know what? They probably took 500 pictures. Uh-huh. By the way, they made me leave my shirt on. Oh. It's so weird. It's too bad. I know. I couldn't wear half of my outfits. <laughs> it's so sad. I had the I had the swimsuit thing I was going to mm-hmm, do. I was, mm-hmm. had my snorkel gear. They're like, no, we those aren't what we want. Yeah, but more professional. Ninety five percent of the pictures, mm-hmm. I wasn't even looking at the camera. They just want you pretending those like you're fake, doing your job. That's what I decided. Yeah. I hate the fake <laughs> picture of fake phonery. Is that the word? Fake phonery. Phony people. Phonery. So were you in here? You were in studio by the studio. microphone? Okay, uh-huh. pretending like you were doing the show. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to flex So get my traps. <laughs> and they're like, okay, got them. Well, got it. I got you it. got it. I got one. <laughs> so I was like, oh, he's, I was just able to be me. Yeah. And, and I missed your abs. That's, that's was, so disappointing. It was so sad. Yeah. It was so sad. Mm-hmm. I'm like, do you want me to like strike a pose? Do you want... But they were awesome. So I, oh, I need to apologize good. to them yeah. with all of my heart. By the way, do you know what uh, today is? This is such a big day. I can't believe it. Um, this is such a sh- like a throwback to the old days. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Today is National Fluffernutter Day. Fluffernutter Day. Fluffernutter. Yeah. National. Do you know what Fluffernutter is? You know, I, I've heard of it, but what is it? Mm. Something you eat. Fluffernutter. Right? Yeah. Is a sweet marshmallow-like spread. Do you remember marshmallow cream uh-huh. spread? Yeah, I do that. Yeah, I remember and that. so a, a fluffer nutter is where you get peanut butter. You make like basically a peanut butter sandwich with marshmallow fluff on it. Mm. Oh, I can't decide if that sounds good or not. So good. I can't even tell you how good. Fluffer nutter day. Oh wow. Is that all? There's usually more than one. There's a lot more, but that, yeah, I'm just still that's thinking. That's a big one, yeah. I mean, yeah, I just want to think about that one for a minute. Let me just That think. might be good on a waffle. Do you have some think? thinking music I can have here, Beth? Just I'm on it. Okay. I Fluffernutter. It's um <laughs> it's a sweet marshmallow spread. Mm. I don't even know where it went. I haven't seen it forever. It used to be the greatest thing on earth. Huh. I think maybe it's something you, you love when you're young. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
That sounds too rich yeah. now that we're too old. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's harder for us to control our sugar levels. <laughs> so, today, so true. <clears throat> today is National Fluffernutter Day. You have to work Are you ready after. to ponder? Yeah. Is this, is this my Fluffernutter music? Yeah. I don't think that's it. No, that's not it. That's not, that's not Fluffernutter music. Yeah, I, I don't think that's it. I was thinking like nostalgia. You know, yeah. They, well, I could, I could see that. Um, but the reality is, I think in the end, um, it doesn't matter because I'm not going to get a fluffer nutter today. My no. wife that she that she thinks that's bad for me. Today's also World Octopus Day. Oh wow! I know World, World Sight Octopus World Day. Octopus Day. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to like you know Country Octopus Day. Yeah. Like California, yeah. just California Octopus oh, Day or that's, something. Now that is yeah, a good worldwide Day. a little, a little too much. Yeah, Nevada Octopus Day, not as good. <laughs> Kind of dry in Nevada. Yeah, yeah. Uh, today's also World Sight Day, which is a really cool day to re- remember and focus on the blindness and vision impairment of the world. That's pretty cool. That's a good one. Um, anyway, so we've got a lot of that going on. Plus, uh, we've also got, of course, a million other headlines. Who better to bring us those than Kathy Aiken? Good morning, everyone. The death toll due to flooding in the Carolinas has now reached 19. Rivers rose and dams broke as stormwaters made its way to the Atlantic Ocean. South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley said 62 dams across the state were being monitored. 13 have already failed. Senator Lindsey Graham warned the disaster could, quote, break the bank of federal emergency funds, possibly reaching $1 billion. South Carolina's football game against LSU, by the way, being moved to Louisiana on Saturday. Hillary Clinton has weighed in on President Obama's trade deal. The agreement that includes the U.S. and 11 Pacific Rim nations was agreed upon earlier this week, but Clinton says she's concerned over currency manipulation and added benefits for pharmaceutical companies. I have said from the very beginning that we had to have a trade agreement uh, that would create good American jobs, raise wages, and advance our national security. I think that there are still a lot of unanswered questions. Clinton's announcement goes against Obama as well as Vice President Joe Biden, who may be Clinton's competitor if he jumps into the presidential race. The House GOP conference will vote by secret ballot this morning for their nominee to replace John Boehner as Speaker of the House. House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy may be the most likely candidate, though he's being opposed by Utah Congressman Jason Chaffetz and Florida's Daniel Webster. United Auto Workers struck a tentative labor agreement with with Fiat Chrysler late last night, averting a strike. The union represents 40,000 workers for the automaker. Local union leaders will vote on the deal Friday. A formal vote will take place at the end of the month. Chris Mintz, the 30-year-old Army veteran who tried saving lives during last week's deadly college shooting in Oregon, has been released from the hospital. Mintz was shot in the back, abdomen, and had two broken legs. He sounded a fire alarm before running back into the classroom, the man telling the shooter it was his son's birthday, but he was shot twice more by the gunman who later killed himself. Nine people died in that shooting. The Coast Guard called off his search for survivors of the cargo ship that went missing near the Bahamas last week. The ship left Jacksonville, Florida on Thursday with 33 crew members on board, 28 of those from the U.S. The body of one person was found Monday as well as a battered lifeboat. The ship reportedly lost power during Hurricane Joaquin. And at Pittsburgh last night... Jake Arrieta, one out away from a complete game shutout. Cubs lead 4-0, bottom of the ninth, the 2-2... Swinging a line drive, caught by Castro, Cubs win. Jake Arrieta pitches a shutout, and the Cubs start to celebrate on the infield. 
That was TBS supplying the play-by-play. The Cubs beating the Pirates 4 nothing. They'll now travel to St. Louis to face the Cardinals mm. starting on Friday. Who you got? A shutout. I'm yeah. going with the Cardinals. You're going to the Cardinals. Yeah, they're pretty tough. But if Jake Arrieta pitches again, That's right. which he obviously will, he is very tough to beat. He's been pitching amazing. I think the Cubs, I told you, yeah. that we've broken the curse. Okay. All righty. Now, I mean, they got to get to the World Series. Yeah, they've got to beat the Cardinals, which is tough, dude. That is tough stuff. Yeah. Man, it, it, baseball, this is the best time of year. Yeah, best Here time we go. of year. Yeah, I love it. That, oh, you got football. Football. Yeah, it is fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we have Fluffernutter. Fluffernutter Day. Mm. I mean, what could be better when you add it all together? That's That, that sounds like yeah. a commercial. Yeah. <laughs> what could be better than when you add it all together? Little peanut butter <laughs> and marshmallow cream. Fluffernutter. Hey, great job, Kathy. Well done, yo. Hey, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get into it, folks. We're going to be talking with an expert and a researcher on mass shootings. Uh, he's going to be teaching us what's really going on, what's behind it. Maybe we can even get into some healthier solutions about what we're supposed to do to respond to it. How do you make sure we can, we can stop future mass shootings. Is that even possible? Dr. Adam Lankford will be joining us from the University of Alabama. Stick with us, folks. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, sadly, our nation has uh, become no stranger to the tragedy of mass shootings. And with most uh, recent occurrence in Oregon, thoughts are once again turned to gun control and uh, the need for better mental health, uh, you know, tracking and uh, the ability for people to get guns that are having mental health issues. Anyway, the United States possesses 5% of the world population, but about 31% of its public mass shootings. So why is our nation such a magnet to these, this type of violence? And what can be done in the future to prevent it, if anything, to answer these questions and more, uh, and to give us insight into the behavior and trends in mass shootings, uh, Dr. Adam Lankford joins us. He's a professor of criminal justice at the University of Alabama. And he's here to address this, I think, very, very difficult topic. Dr. Adam Lankford, welcome to the, uh, the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, Matt. Nice to speak with you. Good to speak with you. This, I mean, this has got to be a hard topic to study, Adam, because you spend so much time just, I guess, in, in, the, in the weeds of it all, trying to, trying to understand the shooters. Talk to us about why, why, why are we? Why is the United States so... Uh, prone to have this type of this type of tragedy. Yeah, it's a good question, and I guess I would start off by saying certainly there are some variables that are easier to quantify than others. Uh, what I did was a study of 171 countries, uh, and I looked at the number of public mass shooters they had from 1966 to 2012, so more than 40 years, hmm. um, and. And things I could quantify were, for, for each one of these countries, uh, what the homicide rate was, the suicide rate, obviously their population size, uh, things like the wealth of that country, GDP per capita, yeah, and also the, the firearm ownership rate, 
And I found that in terms of what the stats show, the stats clearly showed a, a significant link between the number of firearms owned in the country per capita and the number of public mass shooters. Mm. So more firearms, more public mass shooters. Yeah. So so there is there's an obvious connection, it seems like, to mass shooters and guns. I mean, and how does the U.S. fit in, in relation to the, the number two country? What, what is the number two country in mass shootings? Well, in terms of the total, it was the Philippines, and we had, uh, the United States had five times as many offenders as the Philippines. Hmm. Wow. And, and the Philippines, do they too then have uh, high gun ownership or firearm ownership? They do, relatively speaking. Yeah. Um, but but another way of looking at this would be uh, um, you can look at this per capita. I did a comparison per capita between the United States and the European Union, and there we had uh, again five times as many um, mass shooters, you know, per population as the European Union, right. which is which is kind of a natural comparison because. Yeah. Obviously, we, you know, we came from Europe. We, that's kind of our heritage. Yeah. We had five times the mass shootings. Do we have five times the amount of guns, too? Uh, well, it very much depends on the country. Yeah, it does. But, uh, but we have more than 200 million firearms compared to the, the second highest country in total firearms, which is India. Um, and, and our rate also leads the world. We have um, almost double the rate of of any other country in terms of firearms per civilian. Wow. So so guns, um, uh, firearms are linked as really probably the main correlation in your research, right? Did you see anything else that, that was different in the research that might give us more insight into what's going on? Sure. Uh, well, one of the, uh, the ways this topic is often framed is either, you know, people are quick to to blame guns or they're quick to blame mental illness. Right. And and certainly on an individual basis, uh, these attackers are using guns and and they're often mentally ill um, or struggling with, with suicidal tendencies. But on a but on a global level, what I found was that suicide rates do not predict uh, the number of, of shooters a country would have. Hmm. In other words, th- there are countries with far more suicides uh, than we have that really don't have this problem. Yeah. Um, perhaps because those suicidal people just can't get the firearms that they would need to carry out these attacks. So really, so suicide rates, because interesting story that just came out uh, today about the alleged organ shooter is that he was distar- discharged from the Army um, after a suicide attempt. After about a month in, uh, you know, in the military, he was eventually discharged from basic training um, because of a suicide attempt. And then uh, we also hear other stories that his mom, I think, had 14 or so guns in her home. So it's, But you're seeing in your research there's not really a correlation to suicide rates by country and mass shootings. So it's really about guns. And then it's – I mean we're seeing – I guess a lot of them lately in the United States, we've been seeing other mental health issues. But how do we – how do you go about – and like as a researcher – what because you saw immediately after the shooting president obama got on it and we got to do something about gun control we got to do something about some of the gun laws so he was going to jump on it immediately and then you have the entire population you know pretty much the the entire middle of america 
who loves guns. They use guns. They're hunters. They're, you know, so w- where do you see this going, Adam? Well, it's certainly tricky uh, politically and, and frankly, you know, I'm, you know, my inclination is to study criminal behavior more than study politics. Right. You know, I don't a, blame you. irony yeah. with, with criminal behavior being kind of uh, less complex or, or more sensical in a way. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, certainly these debates will continue. Um, you wonder about, I guess the president at the time said we're becoming numb to this and, and he might be right, but I would think that would be the, the worst thing, uh, to simply become numb to this and accept it as an inevitable part of society. Yeah. Um, I think, I think history shows that, Often outrage uh, prompts social change. So, um, if people are upset about these kind of attacks and they want the world to change, they need to, you know, speak with their votes um, uh, and and actually make that change. Do um, do you see? I mean, the gun the guns are one thing, and then what you tend to hear is guns don't kill people; people kill people. So, when you think about the criminal mind uh, or the person. So just in your study of, of of criminology and and dangerous people, I mean, you've you're not a novice at this. You've you've been involved in some pretty heavy duty. Um, in fact, you were the senior executive anti-terrorism uh, coordinator for a forum for on anti-terrorism from 2003 to 2008. And in conjunction with U.S. State Department's anti-terrorism assistance program, so what's going through the mind of a mass shooter? What what is his motive? This whether it's the organ or what is going through their mind? They've got their guns. Uh, yeah. What what are they thinking? Well, certainly there are a lot of elements here. Um, one is is these suicidal tendencies. So um, it's probably common sense to your listeners, but. There are a lot of angry people out there who would never do something like this because of the consequences. Right. Um, and these attackers don't care about the consequences. In fact, in some cases, they embrace them. Um, so there's a suicidal element. There's an element of typically uh, perceived victimization where, you know, sometimes it's inflamed by mental illness, but, but the attackers themselves feel like victims. Like, uh, I've been mistreated, therefore... Um, what I'm doing is really self-defense, or it's justified. Um, so, so they rationalize their their violence as something that um, you know my fellow students deserve, or my boss and my coworkers deserve, yeah. or or uh, you know depending on their target, um, a certain race or religion of people deserve, or government deserves, um, or Americans in general deserve. So that's a major part of it too. And then you know one of the things in terms of I guess, potential for change or, or broader social trends is there's this element of fame-seeking, which seems particularly uh, concerning. We, we don't see that with all of these attackers, but certainly a, a significant Yeah, they want their that. name known. Exactly, exactly. Which seems like, and, and, you know, the press feeds into it. I Some of them are saying they won't release their names and others are releasing the names. Um, is... Because if you think about it, if somebody has suicidal tendencies and they're a perceived victim and they're a fame seeker, it's it is the perfect storm, isn't it? And then you hand them guns. I, I can almost imagine though, when um because there's a lot of anger in the in the 
body politic as well right now. You can kind of sense with people jumping on the Trump ba- Trump bandwagon and, and all of that. But I, I sit there and I think, so, okay, so let's start pushing gun legislation. Let's start taking guns away from people that already are, feel like they're perceived victims. And it seems like we're creating another storm. Right, right. Uh, you know, there's certainly a lot of people who are afraid of um, government uh, intervention. So, um yeah, and I think we saw after uh, after the Sandy Hook shooting, you know, that terrible elementary school shooting. Yeah. There were a certain number of people who went out and bought guns specifically uh, because of that. You know, yeah. but again, when you look at it globally, you know, the evidence globally suggests that there's no country in the world that um, responds to this kind of problem by buying more guns and then sees it disappear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it, it's not going to go down by having more. No. But I would like to say, um, you know, it would be nice, and I know you've looked into things like um, the millennial generation and, mm-hmm. and the many the many positives and reasons to be excited about that, but also um, some of the challenges. Uh, in terms of those challenges or in terms of things, you know, average people can do to maybe raise their kids in a, in a way that makes the culture healthier, um, you know, one of the things I found was that students and workers um, in this country are particularly likely to commit um, public mass shootings compared to other countries. So, as you mentioned, we had 31 percent of attackers yeah. overall, but we had 62 percent of attackers if you just narrowed down the analysis to schools and workplaces. So what's going on with with these rare students and and employees? Hmm. Um and and one of the things uh, we can look at culturally is this seems to be particularly common in America for priorities to be um, extrinsic yeah. rather than intrinsic. Uh, so there's research, psychological research, which which suggests that people who prioritize fame, uh, image, money, uh, wealth, that they end up um, being prone to frustration, anxiety, narcissism. Um, and and less ultimately happy and healthy. So um, our culture seems to be really prioritizing, particularly the younger generation, being famous and and being rich. And you know, if we can raise our kids to prioritize, you know, personal growth, uh, social connections to others, um, well-being on a on a more spiritual um, level, uh, you know, that might be a step in the right. Oh path. yeah. Oh, that's that that is some actually. That's interesting research too, because uh, I just—it's almost like the the television generation. It's, I mean, it's just all of these shows that. I mean, somebody was saying, "Are the Kardashians, you know, really the first family of America?" And I sit there and I think, "What?" I mean, it, that's all just about fame and image and money and wealth and very very extrinsically focused not uh, not to be down on the kardashians but you know i grew up on my three sons you know the the right. the, the silly i mean just a show about a dad trying to make it with his boys so oh man it's interesting stuff we're let's take a break we're speaking with dr adam langford about mass shootings and you know when you when you talk to uh you know a researcher an academic who's studying it um there's a lot to learn are we parenting our kids in a way that uh, are, are maybe even pushing them towards more of these extrinsic values, these extrinsic goals? Um, maybe there is kind of a dearth, a, an emptiness. Um, 
when it comes to their purpose, their principles. We'll talk about it. We'll continue the discussion, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're trying to uh, understand mass shootings and mass shooters. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Mass shootings, holy cow, Oregon, Sandy Hook, all of these stories, they don't they bring back memories and, um, and tragedies, really? And again, United States, we're leading the pack, sadly, sadly leading. Um, interesting, too, of these mass shootings, 62% were in schools or workplaces, which is telling us something about that, and and a, and a large, I guess, uh, a large percentage of them were also perpetrated by younger generations. Um, let's go to our expert, Dr. Adam Lankford, is joining us. He is uh, a professor of criminal justice at the University of Alabama. He conducts research on many types of social deviance and criminal behavior, including mass murder, mass shootings, and terrorism. Dr. Adam Lankford, welcome back. Thanks. Good to have you. Now, a mass shooting, by definition, I guess, is a shooting of two or more people? Uh, Well, there have been various definitions. The one um, that I think is most commonly used is four or more. Okay. Uh, That that was a definition that um, was of kind of mass. You know, how many is mass? Yeah. Uh, The FBI said four or more for a long time. So that's what we mostly use. And so statistically, though, this is being um, these these mass shootings are being perpetrated by younger generations. So uh, I'm assuming 18 to 34 year olds. Right. Well, we do have um, some older individuals who do this as well. But, you know, kind of when you look at the broad um, um, picture in terms of uh, you know history, they seem to be increasing. So it seems that you know, the younger generation is doing this more than previous generations when they were 18 to 34. Yeah. And I guess that could go to the fact that they might be perceived or feel themselves to be more victims. They maybe can't find their place in the world. Yeah, I think that that certainly, you know, we talked about how uh, a lot of these attackers have a victim mentality. You know, it's such a kind of fascinating but difficult thing to struggle with. On the one hand, um, you know, I guess my my parents told me life isn't fair. You know, that was yeah. one of the things I learned early Thanks, on. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Um, yeah, right. Right, right. Arguing with my sister about why she got a bigger cupcake than I did. <laughs> right? Right. So, um, on, so on the one hand, you know, we're in a society that's trying to um, straighten out all inequities. You know, wherever we see something that's not fair— um, we want to we want to make it more fair in terms of um, race uh, and gender and and everything else. Um, but on the other hand, uh, you know, people can develop a, a victim mentality when they see that you know someone else has more than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and when you add you know mental health problems, suicidal desires. Uh, desires for fame, delusions of grandeur, and and firearms into the mix for these rare individuals, 
um, obviously that's a, a deadly combination. Oh. And and did you see any correlations in your research to just violence? Because the mass shootings aside, we have certain pockets of our country that are they're just war zones. I mean, Chicago, parts of Chicago are just known to be more people dying in day-to-day shootings, drive-by shootings, and other violence than than even in a mass shooting. Is is there a correlation between that level of violence in the country and other just violence and 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 murder in the country and mass shootings? I think we may see some similar root causes. Um, so certainly, you know, for for example, um, firearms are correlated with homicide rates, and they're also correlated with um, public uh, mass shootings, but uh, but globally these are really distinct um, uh, phenomena. So uh, you know there are countries with far more um, homicides than we have that don't really have this public mass shooter problem. Okay. Uh, you know uh, Nigeria, Honduras, Venezuela. You know especially when you add in drug trade and, and a variety of mm-hmm. other things like that. So um, and and you'd also say the same thing about if you look within the United States, you know. Uh, Roseburg, Oregon, was the place of this most recent attack. Well, that's not somewhere that's tremendously violent, um, but but it was uh, subject to this type of public mass shooting. Yeah, well, and it's it's weird because you'll hear in other countries about machete murders and mass machete attacks, which mm-hmm. you'll just never hear in the U.S. Right? You don't right. hear of a massive machete attack in downtown Chicago. Right. In, in fact, uh, China has major um, gun control restrictions that are pretty effective. So as you would expect, they don't have a lot of public mass shootings, but they do sometimes have mass stabbings. Hmm. Um, wow. But, 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 but the uh, kind of inevitable result of that is uh, mass stabbings on average kill fewer victims than, right. than mass shootings simply because of the technology that's being used. Yeah. See how advanced we are, Adam? Right. Isn't right, that exactly. – it's tragic. And you sit there and you think – I mean because it's such a complicated issue. And and yet what else is interesting to me is – so there is some mental health in some ways. There is some political legislation that could probably help. There is some media management that might help some of this. I mean but what it comes down to it seems like is humans need to – Look out for humans and parents maybe need to be watching more closely how we motivate and what drives our children instead of the extrinsic drivers like you're talking about fame and image and money and wealth and narcissism. Uh, maybe we need to be finding more intrinsic ways to to create you know, a, an identity for our children and some peace of mind. Right. Uh, so, so one of the uh, interesting ways of looking at this is that uh, there was a, a famous sociologist, Robert Merton, who more than um, 80 years ago wrote about how um, one of the causes of crime and deviance is when there's a gap between um, socially uh, accepted goals and the means to reach those goals. Hmm. So, so in other words, um, the larger the gap between what people aspire to, uh, what they dream of, and what they you know may feel entitled to, um, and their ability to reach those goals, the the more discontent, the more strain. Um, so 
you know, I think the, the tricky balancing act for parents um, and mentors, community leaders, teachers, we want, our, we want our kids to shoot for the stars, so to speak, but, um, but we want them to also be realistic. And, uh, you know, if your goal is being rich and famous, you know, these aren't things you can guarantee simply no. by working hard. Um, or, or by strength of will, uh, you know, luck plays a huge role in that. Um, even if you are highly skilled or, or talented, so, yeah. um, I would say, you know, being rich, famous, high status, these shouldn't be considered, uh, required ingredients for some sort of, uh, important, meaningful or satisfying life. But it's so interesting because you'll watch a show, uh, you know, like the voice or American Idol where, Thousands of people show up to audition in every city, right? And then times 10 cities or whatever. So you have half a, half a million people that all wanted to be the American Idol. And in the end, 10 emerge and two become kind of semi-famous. Um, so two out of half a million or whatever the numbers are. Like that's that's I guess your point. If if somebody has a goal to be American Idol and famous uh, in their music – and yet they didn't even make a cut that that's not necessarily a realistic means to a to your goal and then right. and that that's just right. that's a that's a weird example of this but imagine the kids in the inner city that see all the rich and famous on television and they want to be that but they don't know how to get out or somebody in you know the backwoods of virginia or wherever that i don't know it's just they have the goals they see it kind of flaunted on tv but they don't have a means to get there that's right. So, you know, another way of thinking of it is is there's too much demand uh, yeah. for fame in America, for example, and not enough supply. That's so, true. so when you have too much demand and not enough supply, um, you know, historically, this was looked at in terms of people seeking wealth. So, when everybody wants to be rich and not enough people are going to be able to get there, they often, well, they rob, they steal. Uh, they engage in in various types of fraud uh, to get those um, to reach those goals. Uh, so that's when the goal is money. When the goal is fame, what you see is that that people essentially do the same kind of thing. They yeah. innovate uh, or they strain the uh, the boundaries of of what's socially acceptable in order to reach fame. Oh. Um, and I think to your example, I think we see that with reality TV that people do outrageous things to be. Um, to be famous or to get attention because doing uh, things that have traditionally been considered normal or, or morally acceptable, that's not enough. They need to stand out. And, yeah. and the extreme example is, of course, killing to stand out. Well, and the very shooter from Oregon made that very point. He said, man, people sure get a lot of attention for mass shootings. I mean, he, he, was, he commented on that. So right. that and, was in his the, mind. Yeah. Exactly. The more you kill... Uh, you know, the more you're in the limelight. That's something he yeah. specifically recognized. And, and the sad thing is he's right about that. And that that we can fix, right? I mean, that's something the media can do tomorrow. But the problem is, is and it gets back to maybe your demand and supply, uh, the minute there's a shooting, that creates a demand of attention and all the media outlets carry it because it's in the news. Now, I mean, I get I get the immediate covering of it for half a day. But then they just keep going back and going back, and we keep it in the mindset of everybody. And then we start announcing the person's name, and it does create almost um, 
it does create a demand for more right, infra- right. for more of that. Right, exactly. And and the uh, unfortunate thing is, um, you know, it's long been recognized that we th- we talked about suicidal elements of this. It's long been recognized that suicide can can be a a social contagion. It can have a, a copycat element. Yeah. Um, that you know, highly publicized suicides can sometimes lead other people to commit suicide, and so the media has to be careful about how it it covers those. And we see the same thing here, where you know the Oregon shooter was specifically referencing previous shooters um, as as inspiration, and and he only knew about those because of the way they were covered. Mm. Wow, Adam, how do you study this every day? Does this not just get uh-huh. you down? Um. You know, it's uh, what gets me down is when there's another shooting. You know, I'm just kind of going about minding my own business, and then there's another thing in the headlines. Yeah. And it's uh, um, that's a real downer. But um, on a daily basis, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, to, to be completely honest, yeah, I, I try to not think about the victims as much as focusing on. Do What's the research. Going on with these offenders. Yeah, so, I think so that's smart. I puzzle, right, I puzzle over the psychology. But you know, thinking about the victims is so heartbreaking mm-hmm. um, on an individual basis that it, it it starts to affect you. Well, and we need you. We need your head clear. You go right. go figure out what's going on with these these people. And um, is there one more thought I just had? Is is there because we also have been dealing with terrorism, who are also willing to in some way have some suicidal tendencies, but they're also, I guess if we, and and there is a sense of notoriety or fame for being a bomber that's willing to strap a bomb on your body and go kill yourself. There is a sense of perceived victimization, it seems like as well, plus kind of a moral objective of, you know, being righteous and godly and, and eventually getting to the, you know, getting to live with your God as a hero or a martyr. Um, Is there, is there a similar paradigm in with terrorism and mass shootings yeah in fact uh, we see it on on both kind of the front end and the back end in other words the offenders are often similar uh, not always because we see um, sometimes suicide bombers have been coerced into yeah. that against their will um, and no one no one's forcing these mass shooters to do what they do mm-hmm. Um but but often they're similar for the for the reasons you said the perceived victimization, um, the suicidal elements, uh, the desire for notoriety, um, their youth and, maybe uh, yeah, and, and the the tendency to blame their problems on on another group of people. Um, so we see it in terms of the offenders often being similar. Uh, you know, another thing is they're committing you know. These are premeditated attacks in both cases. These aren't crimes of passion. Right. They're premeditated attacks, and they're killing strangers, you know, not people who've done personally anything against them. Um, but then we also see it on the effect side, where, um, you know, the effect of public mass shootings is that it has a, a psychological consequences for much of society beyond just those who are actually harmed. Yeah. Um, so uh, people feel less safe after these public mass shootings, and, and terrorism is unfortunately designed to have the same kind of effect as well. Mm. It is a crazy it's, – it's a crazy time we're living in. Um, as we wrap it up with Dr. Adam uh, Lankford, Adam, just what, – what can I do? Just as a dad 
going home to my kids today and and talking to them about this, what can the average person do in my world, in my realm, to make sure I'm not contributing to the problem? Well, I'd say I'd say there's two ways to look at it. One is um, just in terms of raising a, a healthy and happy kid, um, keep their expectations um, kind of. Uh, realistic, right? Yeah. You know, uh, and I'm not trying to say I had the model childhood, but when I was 11 and I told my dad I wanted to be a major league baseball player, he said, okay, that's great. And what's your backup plan? Uh, <laughs> because that's a good dad. Right don't become major league baseball players. Right. Um, and if, and if he had told me, you know, okay, well, uh, you know, I'll start booking my, uh, tickets for the world series. You know, that might've been the wrong message. <laughs> right. Um, so, so one thing is is kind of uh, parenting your kids in a way to have them prioritize the right things and to be realistic. But then the other thing is, look, you know, when it comes to these particular attackers, they're often warning signs. Um, so pay attention to your kids. Pay attention to your kids' friends. You know, if you're a teacher, pay attention to your students. And the easiest thing in the world is to say, uh, it's too awkward for me to get involved and to just um, – to not get involved when you see something that seems unhealthy. Um, the harder thing is to get involved, even if it's a little awkward, and say, all right, I think this person needs help. Um, and so so that's what I would encourage everyone yeah. to do. No, I think that's great advice. And we've even seen that I mean, you could even try to do that, and it still might not work because there's parents that have even turned their kids in and – you know, then then justice sometimes is slow to move, or there's certain laws that that keep them from moving too fast. But do what you can. I think I think is the best advice you've given us is get involved, be realistic. Well, Adam Langford, Dr. Adam Langford, we appreciate you. Great work. Again, um, he's from the University of Alabama. If you go to adamlangford.com, uh, you'll be able to find him and uh, and his great work. He really is a wonderful resource. And is, aren't we lucky to have professors, researchers out there trying to figure out what's going on? But in the end, I found if you don't know what they're learning, that's why we do this show, to let you know what they're learning so that we can be, uh, you know, fighting with their information in, uh, in, in our lives. We, it's not enough to have researchers. You've got to eventually get it in our lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll come back, take a break, do a quick wrap-up. You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, in the end, we hear all the stories, don't we? And, you know, there will be more. You can just bank on it. But, folks, these are people. These are human beings. And somehow, as human beings, they get to a point of desperation where the life they want, the life they hope for, it feels out of reach for them. So... Remember this, and and I, I I stress it so much on the show. One of the I think one of the great advancements in human being, uh, in a human being that that allows us to take our lives to the next level is when we can understand that things are complex. Things are not just A meets B. 
It's A and B and C and D and G and W. <laughs> you got to get them all in there. So think about our solutions and our problems. And whatever you're hearing in the political world, whatever you're hearing in the um, on the you know the head-to-head shows where they'll bring two politicians or whatever to go head-to-head, or the pundits will get involved. There's more to this than a political solution. Some of this is a parenting solution. Some of this is a friend solution and a socializing solution. Some of this is how we tend to educate people uh, or not educate people. Some of this is the willingness to be involved and participate as human beings with each other. Um, This is just life. There's always been a person that is on the outside looking in and will do something extreme to get in or to at least be recognized. That's always existed, I think, in all of humanity. The difference is now, though, we have trends, we have media promoting certain things, we have, we have you know, all of these other keys that are involved. So can I just suggest to all of us, myself included, we need to step up and pay more attention to the people around us and see if we can't draw bigger circles to let more people in. Help your kids. Help your kids' friends. Pay attention to what's going on with these people. Be willing to report and open your mouth when you need to. Um, folks, it's, it's, it's going to be us as a global community that we were the ones that will pay when one of us is struggling. That's the first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to take a break. We'll come back next hour. More ideas, more tools to help you and your loved ones grow healthier, happier lives. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach. Doing what we can every day, three hours a day, to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier, happy life. Welcome to the program. And by the way, happy National Fluffernutter Day. Fluffernutter. Mmm, the wonderful marshmallow cream spread over a little bit of peanut butter. And my friends, Fluffernutter, it does the body good. Heavenly. Ah. The sound? That's a sound from heaven. That's a Fluffernutter <laughs> harp sound. Doesn't that just sound Delightful. Here's the problem. Apparently, when you eat fluffernutter, you get more fluffernutter on your body, <laughs> and then you just got to go on a diet because you got fluffernutter yeah. fat all over you. Oh, now, come on! I know. And guess what that means? That means you'll have to exercise off the fluffernutter. <laughs> and exercising off the fluffernutter, it's never as easy as getting the fluffernutter on. Isn't that sad? Here's the problem. Or the solution. There's a new pill. Okay. They think that there's going to be an exercise pill coming mm. out. Wow. Where you won't even have to exercise. Really? Excellent. I know. You just take the pill. Mm-hmm. And when you take the pill, because here's the deal. When you exercise, it causes about more than 1,000 unique molecular changes to happen in skeletal muscles. Okay. And it happens because you're out there sweating. Right. To the oldies, for example, <laughs> like I did this morning. And uh. when this happens, your body and your muscles... They change. They Mm -hmm. become a little different. 
So what the researchers are thinking, well, what if we could figure out what those changes are to the, to the muscles and then let's map them out and then let's create a pill that does the exact same thing? Okay. We need to invest in that right now. Don't you think? Yes. Then you could eat all the fluffer nutter that you want. So the pill, they won't be out for a while, but they're, and it'll also, by the way, because the muscles would help uh, to release the endorphins that mm-hmm. you need and right. all the, fil- all that stuff could come from a simple little pill. Oh, would that not be it. the greatest yes. thing in the world? Then you right. could just think about it. You could watch TV all day. <laughs> just pop a pill. And just pop a pill. Yeah. I mean, people are popping pills all day long <laughs> right, anyway. Right, right. But now, it doesn't, you'll still have cholesterol. You still may not, I don't know that you necessarily you know, lose the same amount of weight, but you wouldn't have to sweat. You know, you would yeah. never have to run a marathon. That's you a just pop idea. a pill. <laughs> so what is it now? It's in the laboratory now on, yeah. on mice? Is that what they're doing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know what? It's so hard to get a mouse to take a pill. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. They're so I've stubborn. I've tried. It is hard. Like yes. prying their little <laughs> mouth. <laughs> prying that mouth open is such a difficult thing. So um, anyway, that, that's, that's good news, I think, for all of us oh, today. Oh, yes. But uh, would you take the pill if all of a sudden you just – if you didn't need to exercise anymore, you could get the same benefit by popping the pill? I love to exercise. I what, really do enjoy that. What, 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 what exactly do I mean, you feel love time, about the, it? The endorphin part, really. Just the – really you, the emotional part is, is yeah. for me. I need that more than probably the physical part, yeah. Get T- stressed. Terry you know? likes to exercise because he likes to talk trash to people. Mm-hmm. On, the, on the treadmill next to him. And, and he also likes pills, he says. <laughs> but – I don't know. I yeah. think on the days I didn't have time for it, I mm-hmm. would love it for sure. Yeah. I wonder if you pop two pills as if it's like having two workouts. Could be. And then the other problem is what's what's it going to do to my exercise Fitbit or my watch? Because mm. it's not – I mean my mind tells me how many steps I took, how, how many calories I lost. Yeah. Do you even use that anymore? Oh, I use it every day. It's your Apple Watch though. Yeah, it's an Apple Watch. My Fitbit, Fitbit I gave to gone. my son Okay. and I'm pretty sure he lost it. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, it is so hard. I don't think that's a boy thing. I don't know. I don't what think it, boys yeah. like Fitbits. But I, my wife has a an Apple Watch. She doesn't use. It's just sitting on the side of her on her bed table, and and I'm like, you know, if you wore yours and I wore mine, we could like send I love you messages, <laughs> and we could I could like you could feel my heartbeat on your watch. Oh, you can. Yeah. Did you See, there's something now. There's a lot I don't know about it yet. I I, I, I mean, I would I would, I would send time. you my heartbeat, but mm-hmm. I thought that would be That's weird. That's weird. That'd be creepy. I mean, but by the way, if I'm going down, mm-hmm. <laughs> check my heartbeat on my watch. I will. Uh, yeah, that that's, sounds good. <laughs> a, so I said, "Do you want me to? I'll just send you my heartbeat." And she's like, "Um, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good with just yeah. my heartbeat." Mm-hmm. Anyway, she's not a big romantic. <laughs> oh, it's sad. Do you ever watch the the show The Middle? The The Middle. The middle? No. Oh, what is what is so the middle? Funny, it's a comedy. It's a sitcom that's been on. Gosh, probably been about five or six years. But I was watching it last night. An old one. It was on Valentine's Day, and it was I was laughing hysterically. <laughs> what was so funny? They're at this place with two other couples. You know, they're, so there's three couples, and and uh, they, they have, we'll go because we don't like to go on Valentine's anyway. We just like to stay home and watch TV. But we'll go. So the you know of course the woman comes up. Would you like to buy your sweetheart a rose? And oh yeah, and the yeah. first one, the second one, yeah, and then the sec- the third one, who's the major couple? Yeah, no, and just went on like it was no big deal and of course she gave him the silent treatment the rest of the she night was it, oh it was <laughs> <laughs> one of those it was hilarious oh, she probably had to be good. there but yeah talk about romance i'm yeah. gonna have you come i'm inviting you to my date night okay. you're gonna have to bring your squeeze okay it's on valentine's okay. day night i heard you get a lot of people to it, that it's party 
It's a it's party. It's a party. And you know what? This time we'll be passing out exercise pills. Oh, for sure I'm coming then. Yeah. yeah. Plus some little sweethearts with really cute little So you give them like big them. chocolate fattening mm-hmm. fluffernutters, chocolate oh. things, oh. and then you give them the pill. Did you say fluffernutter? <laughs> oh. If you have fluffernutter, I will be there. If you like fluffer and you like nutter, you will love fluffernutter. I'm there. Now, I am there. Let's go to the mother fluffer nutter. Oh, great. <laughs> Kathy Aiken for the headlines. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. House Republicans will gather this morning for a secret vote for Speaker of the House. A final vote will take place October 29th when the nominee must get an absolute majority. Kevin McCarthy, the House Majority Leader from California, is considered the front runner, but will compete against Utah's Jason Chaffetz and Daniel Webster of Florida. The new Speaker will take the place of John Boehner, who recently resigned. After supporting President Obama's trade deal while Secretary of State 45 times, Hillary Clinton yesterday said she doesn't support the agreement in its final form. I have said from the very beginning that we had to have a trade agreement uh, that would create good American jobs, raise wages, and advance our national security. I think that there are still a lot of unanswered questions. The Trade Pacific Partnership Free Trade Deal is supported by Vice President Joe Biden, a possible contender to Clinton in the presidential race. South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley said last night that some parts of the state faced more flood risk in the next 24 to 48 hours. The governor visited the coast where rivers continue to rise and head toward the Atlantic Ocean. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of people that have a lot of, of opinions. What I will tell you is this is a thousand-year flood. And we have thousands of dams in this state. And, you know, there'll be a lot of things we can go back after this and say, okay, where do we go from here? The death toll due to the flooding in the Carolinas has now reached 19, and the damage could top $1 billion. Senator Harry Reid is suing a company that makes exercise bands for $50,000. Reid says the band broke while working on an arm exercise in his bathroom, causing him to fall, striking his face on a cabinet in his Las Vegas home. The 75-year-old senator underwent surgery and says he's lost vision in his right eye due to the injury. The Democratic Party leader is retiring next year after... 30 years in office. The search for the cargo ship lost during Hurricane Joaquin in the Bahamas has been called off. I want the families to really know how committed we were to finding their loved ones, to finding our fellow professional mariners, and really to find those who go down to the sea in ships and do work upon great waters. I hope the families can take some small measure of peace from that. Coast Guard Captain Mark Fetter. 33 crew members were on board, 28 of those from the United States. The Chicago Cubs won the National League wildcard game last night, beating Pittsburgh 4 nothing. Our whole team, you're talking about three rookies starting tonight, pretty much all contributing in a big way, whether it was defensively or offensively. Cubs manager Joe Madden. The Cubs will now face St. Louis on Friday in the National League Division Series. And Matt, I know you've been talking about a car for your son, right? Yes. You're trying to figure it out. Uh-huh. Well, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety has come out with its seven recommendations for the safest used cars for teens. Mm, okay, Ready? yeah. 2012 Honda Accord. Bing! Does that sound that's, familiar? You know what? That is, that's my car. Yeah. 20, 2007 Volvo S80. Okay. 2009 Subaru Forester. Huh. 2011 Kia Sorento, the 2011 Chevy Traverse, the 2007 Toyota Tundra Double Cab, wow. and 2011 Honda Odyssey. Not sure your son would want to drive a van to school, oh. but you know, it's safe. But you know what? If my son did, if he were to drive a van, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of ladies that would love him. 
<laughs> Do you think? They'd all be like 34-year-old women with three kids in the back. I was talking to a friend who I actually saw her, and, and I was looking for her car. She usually drove a van, and there was a new car there. I said, you got a new car. She said she'd had her van for 15 years and tried to put oh, it yeah. off on her daughter. She goes, Mom, that would be... Uh, social suicide. You do not drive a oh, van to school. I'm going to get my son because I have a <laughs> we have a beater truck and I have a son that won't drive it. Mm-hmm. He's 15, but he so he doesn't have his license. He doesn't know desperate yet. Yeah, but he's like I, we. I want a new car. I want a new car. So what I ought to mm. do is take him, get him a 2011 Honda Odyssey van. There you go. Here you go, son. It's either Ooh, this or the beater but truck. But you know what? You probably don't want your son to be driving a van to school. No. That used and see in my day. If the guy owned a van, no yeah. parent would let the daughter near him. <laughs> exactly. But I came from a really bad part of town. That's true. Um, vans. Hmm. That's a, that's a, see, that is great information, yeah, Kathy. There you By go. the way, um, uh, Larry, what's his name? Not Larry. Um, the senator that. Harry. Harry Reid. Uh-huh. He needs to take the exercise pill. Get rid of the band. For sure. Forget the bands. Yeah. He's suing the company uh-huh. now. He's so suing him. if he had just taken the exercise pill. Yeah. They wouldn't have had to do that. But, you know, I guess it's, it, was, it was attached to a, a, a firm first surface in his bathroom. But apparently for the elderly, it was, it's kind of hard to do. So maybe he shouldn't have been doing it in the first place. Oh, interesting. I don't know. Is just that what's thought. going on? See, yeah. that's why the pill will matter. Yeah, exactly. Worst case scenario, <laughs> you get a pill in your eye. You're not going to lose your he, – he lost uh, eyesight in it. He had a facial injury. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Some rib injuries. Yeah. Again, I'm not. A, I'm not an opponent to. I'm not opposed to it, <laughs> but it just seems like exercise would be better achieved through a pill. The pill and some fluffernutter. Ah, we'll take a break, my friends. When we come back. We're going to be talking about how to manage your temper better. Do you know somebody in your life? that just can't get control of their temper? I do. His name is Ben Wasden. And we will be teaching him what he can do to manage his temper and uh, the great benefits of how people actually like you more because you can do it. Stick with us, folks. Lots to learn here about the human project. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Hey, friends, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, do you have some pet peeves that just push you over the edge? For some people, you know, it's dishes in the sink. For others, it's the, you know, the cars uh, in front of you not using their turn signals. Or even, you know, just the simple proper way to put the toilet paper on uh, the, the toilet paper holder. You know, there's, a, there's the right way to do it. Sometimes it's simply... Those little things in life that are the last straw and they break us. And then we completely lose it. The temper is gone. Off we go. And uh, that's not a fun place to be. So joining us for some tips on how to manage our temper is our guest today. Gia Ganesh is joining us. She's a career strategist and an empowerment coach. She joins us live now. You can find her on her website, GiaGanesh.com, G-I-A-G-A-N-E-S-H.com. And she's here to give us the tips for uh, managing your temper. Gia, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you for having me, Matt. It's a pleasure. You bet. We're honored to have you. And we need your help because I think, I mean, most people might have a temper flare up now and then. 
Some people have mastered the art of it. Um, but in, in the end, it's got to be something we've got to learn to control, right? Absolutely, Matt. And I think uh, in today's busy world, tempers seem to flare up all around us, even at the drop of a pin or drop of a hat. And oh, like yeah. you said, you know, just seeing the toilet paper <laughs> sitting in the wrong direction could <laughs> cause a huge, huge uh, uh, burst of temper at home. You know, so you are right about that. Is, is, why is it that some of us are more easily provoked than others? Oh, that's a great question, Matt. And there are a few reasons that we can talk about as to why tempers can be triggered, you know. And let me talk about a few here. Okay? Yeah, The first please. one is expectations from others. You know, we tend to expect so much from others. And when our expectations are not met, we feel disappointed, frustrated, let down, and that may trigger a temper burst, you know. So why is it that you expect your spouse to put, your, put the toilet paper in a particular direction? Why can't you do it? Like, for yeah. example, right? Yeah. Another reason, Matt, is that when we feel exploited or insecure or we feel emotions like fear, guilt, shame, vulnerability, or embarrassment, we may mask it by putting on an anger front, you know? Mm. And the reason that uh, people do that is because they don't want to connect with that true inner feeling that they're going through. When we lose our temper, we get a temporary boost of self-esteem. You know, it's just a momentary. It's really a minute, but you get that boost. People would rather go with feeling that boost of self-esteem through shouting or, you know, and expressing their anger in various ways than to feel that pain of shame or embarrassment or fear. And that is another reason that temper tantrums are quite common. It's a, it really is. It's interesting because it's you do get that little bo- boost of self-esteem and you can also see that you know if you've been shamed if you if you feel vulnerable you this is just a, a protective mechanism and and yet we we don't always see it as that right so when when i'm feeling vulnerable or somebody i felt like i'm i'm shamed or or feel ashamed um i i i end up instead you blow it up and you kind of push all of that energy onto the other partner is that just our means of kind of confusing the situation so it's not so real you're, you're right, Matt. It's just our way of coping with that situation. And let me talk to you about the third reason, and I'll tie it back together. Okay. And the third reason is, uh, it may sound surprising, but our childhood and our upbringing may influence how we react to things. Hmm. So, for example, um, what we've seen when growing up as ways to express feelings, you know, both positive and negative. Maybe we grew up in an environment where somebody who always expressed their anger and who is the loudest always got their way around. Yeah, true. True. And then that becomes a deep-rooted belief in you that, okay, that's how I, I will get my way around with the world, by always being the loudest and by being bossy or being throwing a temper tantrum, right? So yeah. That's, that's like a... Back, oh, go yeah. ahead, go ahead, Gia. No, no, I'm sorry, Matt. I was just going to say that that ties back to what you brought up earlier about our self-defensive de- um, mechanism. So when we've seen this happen or we've come across a situation where we know we are going to feel that pain of vulnerability or shame or fear that we may have experienced earlier in our childhood many times, you know, we may have been shamed for getting low grades or being fat or, you know, there could be a number of reasons why we may have been uh, shamed or felt vulnerable. So when we, our brains go into that defini- um, defensive mechanism by adopting a different front, and in this case we're talking about adopting a temper front, 
to mask that feeling. I don't want, our, you know, our brains don't want to go through that feeling again or feeling that pain. So they put on this front and then completely lose sight of that feeling of shame and vulnerability and that is pushed aside. Yeah. So you're right about the fact that it is a defensive mechanism as well. And, and it's it's interesting because it, it, it happens automatically, right? It's not like yeah. I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I will now blow this up so as to avoid being vulnerable. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a pattern we've created, and we may have even created it, like you're saying, at a young age, at a very Absolutely. young age. Yeah, it's kind of scary. Subconscious, right? It's a subconscious part of us that we don't even realize exists, and it's, uh, it's a mindset almost, you know? Yeah, no, it's scary. It's a scary mindset because I mean, just because we're not we're not leading it, are we? I mean, it, it's almost like, yeah. that. Almost seems like it's outside of us, even though we're the ones that created it. Exactly, you're right, man. You're right. Yeah. And I'll, going back to the reasons as to why we may be easily triggered is, uh, of course, last but not the least, stress, Matt. It's a huge trigger for temper, right? Yeah. Our lives are so fast-paced nowadays that we seem to be juggling so many things that overwhelm and stress seem to arise out of nowhere at the drop of a hat. So stress is another huge trigger for temper. And it doesn't seem like that's going down in most of us either, you know. Yeah, not anytime soon. So, so we, yeah. we – we, is it – it seems like sometimes – and maybe it's just that's what we've learned, but it almost seems like sometimes you could – you can see generations of of angry temper people, right? But people that have and and show and demonstrate anger. It might be grandpa had it, dad got yes. grandpa's temper, I got dad's temper. Um, is it handed down too genetically? It seems like there's something there. There seems to be a small genetic component to it, Matt. But it's also the fact that you've seen that. You've seen it all through your childhood, right? You've seen your grandpa shouting. Yeah. and having a temper, then you've seen your dad do it. And you've seen that those are the people that rule the house. They got their way. They they were the masters of the house. So like we already talked about a little bit earlier, Matt, is the fact that it's become a part of you. You've seen that, and you believe that is the world. Mm. That is your world when you were younger. And you grow up, and that's the way you react with the world around you. Right. And and if, my, if a parent did use uh, anger and temper and um, yelling at their child, that child may have felt more shame. So they may have built deeper patterns of shame management and and temper and manage and using tempers the way they all keep passing it on. Yes, mm. yes Matt. It's a tangled web, isn't it, Gia? It it is totally. And you need you. We've seen this, like even these unfortunate shootings in the past week, could be a result of just simple things like not knowing how to manage temper or not knowing how to express those feelings of shame or pain or vulnerability or embarrassment that the child could have been feeling. Right? Yeah. Well, and we, talk, uh, we talked earlier with an expert on mass shootings, and one of the things he brought up is a lot of these people feel like they've been, they've been hurt, they've been harmed. And mm-hmm. they, you know, so if, they, if they've been harmed, if they feel like they're a victim and they don't have the ability to express it, then mm-hmm. it might just fester in them, and I would imagine it could eventually explode. You're right. Troubled stuff. Let's do this. We're speaking with Gia Ganesh from the website giaganesh.com, and we're talking about basically how how to how to do just a few things to manage your temper. And and actually, in the end, I think we'll find out it will make you a more likable person, even if you just end up liking yourself more because you're not losing your control. We'll take a break. Come back with some solutions from Gia Ganesh for how to do this. 
managing your temper, folks. Hard thing at times, but uh, worth it. We'll stick, uh, we'll stick with the topic. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are talking about your temper. Do you have a temper? Do you tend to uh, go off like a rocket the minute somebody says something you don't like to hear, the minute you feel ashamed, exploited, insecure, vulnerable, the minute somebody doesn't meet your expectations? Does it set you off? Those tend to be some of the triggers taught to us by our our guest, Gia Ganesh, from the website giaganesh.com. She's here as a she's a relationship coach and also she she's a career strategist and she's there to empower her clients to learn how to live a healthier life and uh, she's teaching us today just basic steps really but important stuff to manage your temper. Gia, welcome back to the show. Thank you, man. Great to have you. Learning a lot here now. Help us talk about the tools. What are the solutions? What can I do if the trigger goes off and I start to Feel the temper kicking in. What uh, What are some things that I can do today to to start to manage that reaction? Yeah, sure, Matt. So the first thing that you could do is you could take a pause and count to five. It's as simple as that. Just okay. count to five. Just count to five in your mind. Just That's good. focus on your breath and count to five. It's as simple as that. And the reason why this is powerful, although simple, is because it gives you and the situation a temporary pause. It helps you to take a different perspective and to get your emotions in control, you know? Mm, yeah. So it creates a, it just creates a little space for us, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yes. Because but what if I'm counting to 5 as I'm rolling up my sleeves ready to go chase this jerk? <laughs> then that <laughs> won't that, work, will it? <laughs> that will not work. So I got to pause. Are... I really have to stop and count and get and that's why I guess that's why you're saying focus on my breath, right? Exactly. Take your take attention off of the thing that is causing you to be boiling there. Yeah. So focus on your breath and focus. Give it your all. Focus on your breath traveling through your nostrils and going all the way up to your belly. D- and and br- so deep out. breath. Yeah. Yeah. Back out. So that's a very important technique, and that ties us to the next step, which is. Um, kind of move away from the situation if if you are in a place where you're able to step out like let's say you are you know you're like you said you're rolling up your sleeve to go bash this person up yeah. right yeah if you can just take a walk away walk away for a minute yeah just and see if that is going to help you calm down well and and the walk away is it's a distraction but it's also i guess it's um i guess it's in, in a better way it's it's a it's it's a diversion, but it also gets my energy out of me. I have energy that's building up, which is which feels like anger and the temper going off. But you're just saying take that energy and go use it. Yes, and if you're not in a place where um, you know you you can't just go for a run or exercise, then I suggest walk away. But if not, go for a run. Go for go and exercise. Go to the gym. Go swim. Go dance. Put on some music and dance away. You mm. know. So those are the ideal ways to get that pent-up energy out of you because it's really waiting to get out of you. That's what it's trying to do. 
when you try to roll up your sleeve and get all that energy focused on your arm, it's trying to get out of you. So why not utilize it in a constructive way, right? Yeah. Well, and it, that's such an interesting idea because it, it, I even think, like, let's say I'm getting frustrated with my kids and they've known me to have a temper, then if I just say, you know what, uh, dad needs to take a break. Dad's going to go get this energy out. And mm-hmm. then I'm teaching my kids that, holy cow, dad can actually make a choice about his, his temper, his energy. Yes, and you're setting a good example about how to manage your emotions and control your emotions, right? Yeah. And that is also uh, something very important because emotional intelligence is really a hot topic nowadays and not just from the purposes of research or um, anything of that nature, but it's been proven that people who are emotionally intelligent are more successful, they are more likable, and they have better, um, you know, they have better chances of succeeding at anything that they do because they are fully aware of how to control their emotions. But I'm straying away from my tips here, so let's get back to our tips. Yeah, keep going. (laughs) Um, the next thing that I would like to talk about is, uh, I call it splash your face. Mm. And I'll give you a little bit of background on that, uh, Matt. Um, for a long time, I've always seen people, you know, slamming doors or breaking things. You know, you've seen that in movies as yeah. well. You know, people sweeping things off the table. <laughs> yeah. Um, throwing uh, vases at the walls and stuff like that. And, um... I've never felt the urge to do that when I was angry, and I always wondered why people did that, right? Yeah, <laughs> what is that about? That? <laughs> yeah, Matt. So I always wondered, and then I started digging a little bit deeper as to why people like to break things or slam doors and stuff of that nature. And uh, uh, what I discovered is that that temporary noise or the act of throwing something gives them that temporary pause that we spoke about hmm. a little earlier. Yeah, their, their, their pause is just a little more violent. Exactly. And they are probably not, um, some people don't know that they can take a pause in a different way. It could be as simple as that. Or just that they haven't paused, uh, you know, they've not taken that five-second pause that we spoke about a little bit earlier. So thereby they grab onto the nearest thing and slam it, right? Right. I spoke to somebody who was going through this. I, I know this person who was slamming doors constantly, and when he was not in that phase, I sat down with him and we drilled deep to understand what happened to him when he slammed the door, like what relief it provided or what was going through his head. And uh, what we uh, deciphered, Matt, is that um, that sudden loud noise made him lose focus on the issue. Hmm. That, that, dis- that, cha- that distracted him from the issue. Yes. Yes. And that's when I said, okay, if that's all you need, if you're looking for a temporary distraction, then let's come up with other ways for you to find that distraction, you know? Yeah. Why don't you jump on the spot for 10 minutes? Yeah. Or 10 times, right? No, that's, I think that's, and, and that, that could be going back to the dancing, do the angry dance, yes. you know, yeah. just start dancing. Hey, what's your dad doing? Oh, he's doing the angry dance. Give him about 10 minutes. Right. That's great. But I, I, I had no idea that that's, that that fit of anger and, you know, the, that violent reaction is is just their way of getting the energy out. So when you bring in this idea of splashing water on your face, mm-hmm. like if you just say, okay, I need to go to the bathroom and splash water on my face, then yes. that's that's actually a routine that you can start you know, incorporating into your life. Yes, and that's what I discovered. Like personally, when I felt angry, instead of uh, shouting or you know doing anything else, I discovered that 
just going to the sink and splashing cold water made a world of difference. Mm. Feeling that cold, you know, that physical sensation on your, hit your face, and then the water dripping down, you've completely forgotten about what, what it is that is bothering you for that minute, right? Yeah, right. And gives you a chance to cool down. Yeah, and plus it, it removes you to another place. So, exactly. so you're not in the room because sometimes people might be trying to make you angry. You know, mm-hmm. they might be pushing your buttons. And so you're not in the same space with the person that was pushing the buttons. This might happen in a, be- a business meeting or I've seen it in with attorneys and uh, people that were divorcing. Sometimes you just need to excuse yourself and go throw some water on your face. Yes. Just run to the restroom. That's it. Excuse yourself. Yeah, that's great. And a couple other quick tips are meditating daily. Um, we've heard a lot about the health benefits and the mental benefits of meditation. So that causes our overall stress levels to go down. Talk, talk our, about meditation for a second, because I think every you know every culture does it different. Every person does it differently, and I think I think a lot of us aren't quite sure what constitutes meditation. Like, did you have to sit there and get into a state of Zen, like thinking, or what? What could constitute meditation? I'm going to give you an oversimplistic definition of meditation, okay. but I think it will help understand. Yeah. It's just a way to stay in the moment and just be. Be the moment. I mean, you, it's as simple as that, Matt. It's just a way to connect with your inner self, stop the chatter in your mind. You, even if you can't stop the chatter, that's the most difficult part that people feel when they, when they are asked to meditate. They're like, you know, my face is itching. You know, I, I, oh, I have those laundry list of things that I need to get to and Thoughts like that that are passing you by, right? And meditation is a state where you can be able, you can watch those thoughts pass by. You cannot be those thoughts, hmm. and just watch those th- thoughts pass by. And you, and you, in the moment. you separate yourself. Your, mm-hmm. your, I would call it my spirit, but I separate myself from my thoughts, my moods, my, the moment, and I can actually almost sit as an outsider and and see those things. Exactly. You got it right, man. Well, that's yeah. powerful. And, and by the way, that like you can do that at a light uh, waiting in your car, right? You can do that waiting in a line at the grocery store when you're stressed and you have 500 things to do today. Absolutely, Matt. That is correct. Um, meditation doesn't involve having to sit in a place for 20 minutes. There are what we call nowadays micro meditation moments. You know, you just take one to three minutes anytime when you have time in your day. And ideally, you should do it like five times a day. And you just focus on your breathing. It's as simple as that. Just focus on how shallow or deep your breath is. And like I mentioned a little bit earlier, focus on your breath traveling inside you, reaching that belly, filling your belly up, and then seeing how it just depletes your belly and gets out of you. It's as simple as that. Meditation just constitutes being able to focus on that breath uh, a few times a day for a minute or so. Yeah. No, that's powerful. And, And, And what's your, do you have another one? Another trip, um, another trick that we can use to manage our temper? Absolutely, Matt. Another trip, uh, uh, trick or tip is to be able to journal, right? Write out your feelings at the moment in a journal. It's a journal that's private to you. That's not something you have to share with anybody. You don't have to email a letter to anybody about how you felt. Just write out what you felt. And that gives you a way to help reduce the intensity of the emotion that you were feeling that was causing that uh, temper burst. Yeah. And it also helps you clarify your thoughts and feelings. It helps you know better. 
And, you know, it could possibly even lead to help solving the problem that was frustrating you, at, uh, uh, you know. But because when you go back to, a, uh, to what you've written after a moment of time, you may be able to see a different perspective yeah. that you were not able to see in the heat of the moment. I, you know what? And I think that's, I think we need more journaling. Plus, there's just the inherent ability to get your energy out on the issue by just writing. Writing is kind of tedious. It takes effort. And so your ability to journal it out might also get the energy out. Uh, Gia, these are great ideas. Go, for, you know, go exercise, splash your face, meditate, write it out, focus on your breath, count to five. As we wrap this up, Gia, what would you say if, if there's one thing that I could do, all of us could do today to immediately start to impact our ability to, to manage our temper, what would you say is the one thing we should start with, the one thing we should focus on first? I think it's mindfulness, Matt. Being able to be present at the moment, completely, fully present and engaged with whatever it is you're doing. It's like, let's say, for example, you're typing. Being aware of the physical touch of your keyboard and focusing on that, that's being mindful. Yeah. When I'm talking to you, I want to be fully present and engaged with you, Matt. That's being mindful. And right. that's, yeah, and that's, I mean, because what, what are we, if we're, if we're not mindful, if our mind is not in the moment with somebody, what are we? We're just, it's not going anywhere. This is useless. Right, right. So I think being mindful is also another great way to reduce stress and overwhelm and to being, become better, um, create better awareness of ourselves and therefore reduce these temper tantrums and other negative emotions that sometimes seem to take control of us. Yeah. No, this is great. Great stuff, Gia. Appreciate uh, appreciate that valuable insight. Again, you can find more out about Gia at her website, giaganesh.com, G-I-A-G-A-N-E-S-H.com. Gia's uh, on her website. She's helping high achievers lead fulfilling personal and professional lives. She's a great resource. And, and again, mindfulness. You can't it's it's it really is a lifetime skill that we need to go work on and we may as well start today right let's take a break when we come back we'll do a little coach's corner stick with us folks you're listening to the matt townsend show helping you see the good in the world Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Matt, isn't that uh, everybody? We have something we do, whether it's our temper that blows off, you know, whether it's me um, puffubbing you, which is where I personally use my phone to snub you, where where we're not actually present, and that's what Gia was getting to. Is a lot of us we're just not mindful. There's an enormous movement in the country called mindfulness. If you go Google the word mindfulness, it is, it's just the simple ability for us to be present in our heads, right? Present in our lives day in and day out. And most of us, we're not very good at it. We're not very good at it. In fact, um, there are a lot of examples in our lives where we we flat out aren't paying enough attention to what's going on in life. In fact, some research recently came out on 9-11 calls. Check this out. In San Francisco, they said about 30 percent 
of the calls to the emergency number 911 are accidental pocket dials. Google researchers said they shadowed 911 dispatchers in San Francisco and discovered 30% of the calls received in a particular window of time were accidental rather than actual emergencies. And the team protocol requires that dispatchers return the calls and leave a voicemail or talk to the person that's that had made the call, which uh, takes about 14 seconds per call, right? So if 30% of the calls to 911 are accidental and each one of those accidental calls takes at least 14 seconds, it's creating a problem. Uh, one of the polled uh, dispatchers said that more than a third of identified accidental calls and they identified the accidental calls uh, as um, pocket dials. So it's just your phone kind of automatically dialing. It's a it's a pain point they're finding for those in the um, in the dispatcher's offices. In fact, some people also say up to fifty percent of nine one one calls were pocket dials. So that means nationwide, eighty four million nine one one calls a year are pocket dials. And we aren't mindful enough to know we're pocket dialing, right? We can put people on the moon. We can send orbiters to Mars. We can go explore Pluto, but we can't figure out how to not have a 911 call when we stick our phone in our back pocket. Isn't that crazy? Anyway, um, one of the other things that they found, um, I don't know, it just seems crazy, Another misuse of the 911 calls they found in Britain and the United States were people who had pleas um, asking – they'd call 911 numbers when Facebook was out. Like, oh, my word. I can't get on Facebook. I'm so scared. How will I talk to anyone? Please, are you kidding me? Come on. Seriously, folks, get a life. Not to be rude. (laughs) Um, Excuse me, I'm just calling to see if Facebook's up yet. 911, what's your emergency? Is Facebook up yet? Anyway, nuts. People are nuts. That's why sometimes we're just grateful that there's National (laughs) Fluffernutter Day. When you're having those stressful moments and you just need a break, fluff or nut it. Here's another crazy example, folks, of somebody that just isn't mindful and paying attention. A Japanese Minecraft player, which if you don't know what Minecraft is, it's a video game um, that the kids are playing where they build their own little worlds. It's amazing. My kids play it. A ton of kids are playing it. And this guy was a Japanese Minecraft player. He was online playing the game, I believe. And so he has a video camera on him filming him play the game. But uh, he, he, he made a mistake. He was doing something stupid. And he was actually playing with a lighter. And he had, he had, a, he had a, like a cigarette lighter. And I, apparently he bought a new lighter and he was testing it. And it wasn't working. And it wasn't working because it didn't have oil in it. Um, the lighter fluid in it. And so he was, you know, he was testing it, figuring it out, talking to people, I guess, playing the video game and poured lighter fluid in his lighter, you know, spilled a little bit. Just just a little spill. It's just a little bit, a little bitty spill. Oh, 
lighting it, trying to light it, couldn't light it. Finally, it lit on fire, and his lighter lit on fire. The whole lighter just consumed in flames. No big deal. He just threw it, smiles a little bit. And uh, lo and behold, you know, took care of the stuff. Started a little fire on the ground. He just stopped it. Just a little fire. Well, one bad decision after another one. It catches fire. His house, his apartment catches fire. And it escalates and it escalates. And he doesn't even see it. For a while, he's turned one direction. And behind him, you can see flames in his apartment. Ben, not explosions. It escalated. Oh, my word. It's hard to find good help. So he... uh, He's not paying attention to the garbage that's ablaze behind him. Then he looks over. You'd think he'd smell the smoke. Like a minute. He's just sitting there. The thing's burning behind him. He gets a blanket. He gets a box to try to beat down the flames, but he's beating it down with a cardboard box. You can imagine how that goes. He also tries hitting it with a blanket. He throws his water on it from his water bottle. He goes to the kitchen a couple times, two or three times, brings out bowls full of water. Nothing's happening. Tries the blanket a comforter. Nothing's happening. Well, lo and behold, he disappears, but you can see the fire grow throughout the, his apartment and you don't see him. And then eventually the feed ends when it melts, probably all over his Minecraft game. Sad. The man, by the way, was injured along with his father and mother and another relative who were taken from the home. What's the lesson, folks? I always like to leave you with a lesson. Don't smoke and play Minecraft. Don't mess around with a lighter. And don't let Ben choose your audio sound. Was that offensive, Ben? I'm enraged. Oh, boy. We learned anger management, but it didn't seem to take. You got to be careful, folks. You know what? You got to be mindful. Okay. We got to pull our head out and just start to be focused. You can't just be caught up in Minecraft, you know, fixing your lighter. Problems happen when your head's not in the game. Problems happen in life when your head's not in the game. Be careful with your temper, folks. We don't have to see it. You have the power to control it. That's the benefit of being a human being is you don't have to just react just because you feel it. There's a lot of tools we all use. Good stuff. Stick with us, folks. We're trying to help you live longer, not burn your place down and love stronger, not yell at each other. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back after the break. More headlines next This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the tools, the information you need to make it through this thing we call Project Human. 
Some of us are struggling more than others. Welcome to the program. Uh, in studio, of course, Kathy Aikens with us. Good morning. Hello, Kathy. Human. I love that. The Human Project. This is the Human Project. Mm-hmm. This is... Not the Robot Project. Not the Robot the project. project. Not the Animal Project. It is the Human Project. It is the That's Human good. Project. Yeah. And we all know what holds humans together. Mm-hmm. It is? Fluffernutter. Fluffernutter. It does the body good. Mm-hmm. But it's so gooey and sticky, you know, it just keeps everything in place. Fluffernutter yeah. is the mix of marshmallow cream mm-hmm. and peanut butter. Mm. Peanut butter. <sighs> Fluffernutter. Yeah. And it, uh, it is, by the way, National Fluffernutter Day. So happy Fluffernutter Day to you. You too. And yours. And yours as well. <laughs> <laughs> that is the weirdest phrase. Oh, that is. It's also World Sight Day, which sight? is Sight okay. Day. Uh, World Sight Day is the special annual day of awareness that is to celebrate uh, and to have people focus on the importance of you know vision and to watch out for those uh, conditions that can be all over the world. The World Health Organization, by the way is the one that created World Sight Day to pay attention to the fact that we can prevent a lot of blindness. Mm-hmm. blindness. Yeah. So that's a, cool, that's a cool day. Also, World Octopus Day. That one. Which, that one's vital. You know what? Ever I had octopus? I have. You have? Uh-huh. Oh, just the uh, texture would just make me gag yeah. for sure. Do you know that uh, an octopus, it's, it's a survivor. It predates dinosaurs. Did not know that. Yeah. And yeah. you know that how? I don't know. <laughs> It's just one of those little just facts. Throwing it out there. It's Talking a, about sight, though, I, yeah. I heard a commercial on the radio, and it was about um, LASIK surgery mm-hmm. for those who can't read the newspaper anymore. And I thought, that's me. I need to check into that. You can't read the newspaper? Uh, well, not unless I have my glasses, reading glasses on. So I thought, I don't want, maybe not. I don't have to have reading glasses on. I think you've got some fans out there. Well, Kathy, the uh, a lot of people our age just have people read the paper to us. That's true. Your children are old enough to read for Yes, you. they are. But they have other more more important things than reading to their mother. No. Yeah. Kathy, so that's why it's literally when I print out my news, I have to have very large font. So I've I noticed that. So I check into that. Well, I've noticed like your font when you're reading, it's like you have like three words per page. <laughs> it's not that bad, but pretty close. Did, pretty would, close. Yeah. So I'm, I need to look into that. I, have you ever had LASIK surgery? I haven't. Um, I have a weird, what do you call it? I have like a phobia of having lasers near my eyeballs. That would kind of, I know that kind of makes me a little bit nervous too. It's a little creepy. Yeah. But. I don't know if it works though. That would be so I think fantastic. It, I hear it works incredible. Now here's the problem. Because I would do it in a second. Mm-hmm. Except my wife's like, I kind of like you with glasses. Yeah. Which I thought, well, rude. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I kind of like you with half your face covered. Hmm. <laughs> So I guess you recommend to your clients you don't have them tell that to their spouse yeah. or their significant if other. If yeah. you're going to get LASIK, surprise them. Yeah. So cover even, half your face. <laughs> apparently, even if I, oh. I – I'm going to either have to go get the Phantom of the Opera mask. Love if that I get play. LASIK. That's my favorite all yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Well, he had LASIK, by the way. Did he? That's why I he has to did. wear the mask. <laughs> Great. And – or so I'd have to get a mask or just mm-hmm. – I'd get LASIK and still wear glasses. How about contacts? No. No. No, I, the problem is apparently my face. It's not even my eyes anymore. But yeah. Your wife doesn't want you to wear contacts. She wants you to cover parts of your face with the glasses. They look good, yeah. by the way. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, make you look much more smart. Don't, don't you think? Mm-hmm. I think For they sure. make me look taller. <laughs> Do I look taller? No, I, no, I don't think it's that. I'll I think take it's, them off and you'll okay, see. Okay. It's totally different. <laughs> you completely shrink. I, I feel taller. Um, 
Yeah. Okay. By the way, I my I've decided. Yesterday we talked about the fact that I had a, a shoot. A what are they called? Uh, Camera a photo shoot. A photo shoot. Uh-huh. And I was hating the idea of it. Yeah. It was like the twelfth one I had had, and I had, I had out of my twelve photo shoots, thousands of pictures. I've only ever liked one picture. Of wow, me. you're one. picky. I know it was weird. And so, um, but they they this was a great photo shoot. And why I'm bringing it up is because my glasses. They anyway, I, it's a long story. They wanted me to look a certain place, but be kind of reading something. But anyway, I have bifocals, <laughs> and I can't look down and read. It's anyway. You just have to pretend. But I did decide at the end of all of this, I'm probably going to be a model. Uh-huh. I'm going to be a supermodel. I've had a few calls at my desk. Have you from some agencies? Yeah, well, I'll give you the numbers well, when we're done. Are they looking for you, or were they no, looking for, for me? You. Was it they for me? They were definitely calling for you. Was uh-huh. it modeling? Uh, it was modeling agencies out of New York. It's so weird because yeah. last night I sent that out there. I sent it out <laughs> to the world, to the ether, wherever mm-hmm. you send wherever it. it. I send it to out. Uh huh. To the cloud. Uh-huh. I just sent out the vibe that hey, maybe I ought to do supermodel. Mm-hmm. Maybe I ought to. Be I think a you make a lot more money doing that than this. Oh, I'm for just guessing, sure. but I think, I think you probably for would. Sure. Mm-hmm. And um, and I've already I'm waxed I'm already I spent all morning yesterday waxing right after the show actually Terry helped me with that and I appreciate your back, that did you wax your back oh yeah okay yep yep <laughs> huge ordeal <laughs> I in, wonder where that screaming was coming from yeah I that was there certain. Okay. in fact they're so mad this morning because all the drains are clogged <laughs> it's horrible but I do appreciate the producer Terry because that wasn't in his job description no oh so yeah, supermodels no. that's gonna happen. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I'll give let's, you the numbers when we're done. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, I, th- thanks for watching out for okay. me. Let's go to Kathy, find out what's going on in the headlines. Good morning, everyone. The death toll due to flooding in the Carolinas has now reached 19. Rivers rose and dams broke as stormwaters made its way to the Atlantic Ocean. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of people that have a lot of, pit of opinions. What I will tell you is this is a thousand year flood, and we have thousands of dams in this state. And, you know, there'll be a lot of Things we can go back after this and say, okay, where do we go from here? South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, she said 62 dams across the state were being monitored. 13 have failed. Senator Lindsey Graham warned the disaster could, quote, break the bank of federal emergency funds, possibly reaching $1 billion. South Carolina's football game against LSU is being moved to Louisiana because of the weather on Saturday. Hillary Clinton has finally weighed in on President Obama's trade deal. The agreement that includes the U.S. and 11 Pacific Rim nations was agreed upon, but Clinton says she's concerned about the final outcome, despite agreeing with the president on the deal 45 times while Secretary of State. I'm worried about currency manipulation not being part of the agreement. We've lost American jobs to uh, the manipulations that uh, countries, particularly in Asia, have engaged in. Clinton's announcement goes against Obama as well as Vice President Joe Biden, who may be Clinton's competitor if he jumps into the presidential race. The House GOP conference will vote by secret ballot this morning for their nominee to replace John Boehner as Speaker of the House. House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy seems to be the likely candidate, though he'll be opposed by Utah Congressman Jason Chaffetz and Florida's Daniel Webster. A formal vote will take place at the end of the month. The Coast Guard called off its search for survivors of the cargo ship that went missing near the Bahamas last week. 
The ship left Jacksonville, Florida on Thursday with 33 crew members on board, 28 of those from the U.S. The body of one person was found Monday as well as a battered lifeboat. The ship reportedly lost power during Hurricane Joaquin. United Auto Workers struck a tentative labor agreement with Fiat Chrysler late last night, averting a strike. The union represents 40,000 workers for the automaker. Local union leaders will vote on the deal on Friday. The Chicago Cubs are moving on to the National League Division Series after shutting out Pittsburgh last night 4-0 in the NL Wild Card game. And Matt, ever found something strange in your laundry room? Oh, pff, every day. <laughs> Every day. Well, a woman near Orlando found an item that had been missing for more than a month. What? An eight-foot cobra snake. Uh, a cobra? Cobra. The woman contacted animal services after hearing hissing sounds while putting her clothes in the dryer. Oh, my oh, word. Can you even imagine that? I can't. The snake escaped from the Dragon Ranch sanctuary and slithered about a half mile to the woman's home. By the way, king cobras, which can get as long as 18 feet, are the most deadly snakes in the world. The venom from a single bite can kill uh, 20 people or one elephant. Wow. So pretty potent. Yeah. At least you didn't find an elephant in the dryer. <laughs> Arthur, did you put the cobra in the dryer? Can you imagine hearing that? I can't imagine. As you're putting your clothes in the dryer. Oh, my word. Especially in Florida. Yeah. Because you could pretty much have anything come out of anywhere yeah, in scary. Florida. Yeah. You hear of snakes in the <laughs> toilet under the dryer. Yeah. So what have you found that's, you know, you say you found it in your I laundry don't, room? You want to go there? It's kind of personal. Yeah. I, you know what I find a lot? I find a lot of dirty clothes in there. That's weird. I know. Yeah. They should be clean by totally. the time they get in there. Do your boys – let me ask you. Do your yeah. boys put the clothes inside the hamper? They have. Okay. Yeah, yeah they mine, have for before. some reason, they get all around and yeah. on the floor near the hamper, well, but for some reason, they never make it. Maybe they're just bad shots. You I know guess. what? Yeah. In the hamper – Around the hamper, it's... For you guys, it's just the same thing, right? It's just the same. The women will pick it up. You just need to relax. Yeah. Now, if they just... Have you ever had your kids come in and say, sorry, yeah, sorry, mom, but you've you've told them 20 times not to do that. Oh. And they say sorry. Yeah. So so sorry's not enough. Yeah. Is that what you're going to talk about? Uh Because I can't wait to hear, do... Why do men have such a hard time... Saying sorry. sorry. Yeah. Well, A. You're going to ask that question? Well, you'd actually have to be wrong. Okay. There you go. There you go. I mean... You know, to to be sorry, you had to have done something, something wrong. wrong. Hello. Uh, a lot of times I like to give this one. I'm sorry that you're so sensitive. <laughs> That's always a good one. Yeah, I'm sure you I'm say sorry that. that you don't quite know how to control yourself. I'm sorry that you're easily put off. <laughs> yeah, these are Why bad. Why do I think that's not true? I have a, ha- I have a really good um, – I have a really good handle on the not sorry thing. Okay, good. I can't wait to hear yeah, this. This is going to be great. In fact, uh, coming up, uh, thanks, Kathy, by the way. Coming up, Jennifer Thomas, Dr. Jennifer Thomas will be joining us. She is um, the co-author with Dr. Gary Chapman on the book, When Sorry Isn't Enough, Making Things Right with Those You Love. Sorry, man. It's a tough one, isn't it? I said sorry. Gosh. Get off my back. You are so rude. We'll be talking about uh, apologizing, why it's so hard for some, how to do it, and how to actually, what to expect when someone says sorry. Stick with us, folks, helping you find the information you need to grow healthier, happier lives, stronger love. Stick with us. We all need a sorry once in a while. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, friends. And uh, today we're talking sorry. How many times have you just thrown it? Sorry. Yeah, I got it. Sorry. Man. It doesn't cut it, does it? When sorry isn't enough, that's the name of the book we'll be discussing today. Dr. Jennifer Thomas is going to be joining us. She is the co-author on the book with Dr. Gary Chapman. The book's called When Sorry Isn't Enough, Making Things Right with Those You Love. And uh, in this book, uh, she teaches us that, you know, apologies, they, they don't always mean the same things to everyone, right? Because we all have different languages of apology. And Dr. Jennifer Thomas is here to help us figure out uh, what language you might be speaking. Dr. Jennifer Thomas, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, thanks, Matt. It's great to be with you. It's great to have you here. I mean, really, ap- apologies, it's it's such an interesting thing because for some, they, they seem so much easier than for others. Why is it that some struggle and some don't struggle apologizing? Right. Well, we think that people who came from homes where you you couldn't get forgiveness very easily, if yeah. you got scolded, if you got the message, it isn't that you did something bad, it's that you are bad. Oh. Well, then we learn to hide our mistakes from them rather than owning up to them and apologizing. And the problem is that when we grow up, our parents aren't even around, but we're still following that same pattern and trying to get away with covering up our mistakes. Because mm. So it's really, it's like... You may have been raised in a situation where you personalized it, where, where you're what's bad, not your actions. And so then I've got to hold it. I've got to hide it. I've got to keep it away from everybody. Right. We fall into shame and we feel guilty about what we've done wrong. But what we don't realize is if we would bring it out in the open and give a sincere apology, the person may really want to forgive us, and they also want to know how we're going to change it or stop having this problem, and then they want to move forward with us if we can just own up to it. Yeah. It's about vulnerable, really, I guess. you got to be able to be vulnerable with the people around you. That's right. There's a really popular TEDx speaker named Brene Brown, who your listeners may be familiar with, and she says this, vulnerability does not mean weakness. And if we think about it, if you can remember someone who's given a really big apology, we we actually respect them more. It it causes us to admire them when you can um, admit, hey, I'm imperfect, and I make mistakes, and I want to do better next time. Yeah. Oh, it's such a great thing to teach your kids, isn't it? That we all make mistakes, and so we can, we're all, and it's not you, you're not bad when you make a mistake. It, if we could make it so much more open and safe for our family to do that, we might make it easier for everyone to apologize long term. That's right. And the idea that I brought to Gary Chapman is that we have scripts from what our parents required us to say that we bring into our adulthood. And then we also turn around and teach our own kids the same scripts. And what I I said to him is, you know what, I think that there are five different phrases people use when they apologize. And the problem is we all had different parents, and so we have sort of different magic words when it comes to apologies. And so what we're trying to do is to help people learn all five of these scripts, or we call them languages of apology, so That's that great. kids can be multilingual in the apology world. Okay, great. Let's go over what are what are some of these phrases or the okay, yeah, so the, the scripts. One, the scripts. And this really came out of my own marriage. I was saying to my husband, I'm sorry. I was expressing regret, and that has become our first language of apology. But to him, 
that didn't convey what he was waiting to hear. I was trying to say, look, I understand I've hurt your feelings, I've caused you this discomfort or inconvenience. Um, But to him, he wanted to hear what became our second language of apology, which is accepting responsibility or saying, I was wrong. Okay. Because the fact is, I can say, look, Matt, I'm sorry that happened, uh, but I'm not saying that I caused it. Yeah. And and for some people, that's what they really want to hear. And it, especially if it's something that's serious or that's been repeated, then they're going to go more towards what they had to say as a child. Mm. And moving on down the list, then, our third language of apology is making restitution or making amends which comes out of the 12-step literature, that you're going to go back to the people who you've hurt and you're going to make things right with them. And if I've hurt you financially, I'm going to make you whole again. Hmm. That's, you know, it's so interesting because each one of these has a completely different assumption behind it, right? A different belief. and, and, And if you're expecting... If you're expecting, you know, restitution versus responsibility, it's going to be different and it will feel different. Right. And they build on each other. And it's great if you can use all five, then you'll know you've given a complete apology. Mm-hmm. And for this third one, making amends, these people will say, you know what, talk is cheap. Saying I'm sorry, saying I'm wrong, you can do that till you're blue in the face. But when you put action with it, that's when I'll know you're sincere. Yeah. Wow. Okay. What's number four? Number four is genuinely repenting. And the word repentance from the Bible literally means to turn around 180 degrees from the way you're heading and go back the other way. And so with this one, what you want to tell them is how you're going to change, what's going to be different next time around. Hmm. So do you, in in that type of apology, do you tell them what you're going to do differently? You do. Um, and I really, I like this, and I'm, I'm bilingual. I tend to say I'm sorry, but I also want to hear from the person, okay, well, are you going to start setting an alarm, or are you going to mm-hmm. make some change in your system so that it's impossible for this to happen? Um, where someone else might be very comfortable if, if you just stop with I'm, I'm sorry, but again, if it's serious or repeated, you're going to be wanting to hear a bit more. Yeah. So that's our fourth one. And then our final language of apology is the request for forgiveness. And this one, we find, really does come from, um, did your parents require you to say that? And it's the minority, I think, where they were required to say that. But what happens is some people really want us to ask, will you please forgive me? Hmm. And for me, that wasn't required by my parents. And I could be very sincere, but I I wouldn't think to say that. I just, it it doesn't come to mind automatically. But as Gary Chapman and I got into the research and we were surveying people to find out what they really wanted to hear, we found that 3% of people most want to hear you say or ask, will you forgive me? Really? 3% want that overt act of it's something like it's like begging for forgiveness. Like, will you will you grant me that? Hmm. Right, and it it can be hard to ask that question because we're giving them the control. Yeah, we have to humble ourselves. In a sense, we're getting down on one knee and saying, "Look, I understand this is in your hands, and I've caused this offense, 
and I want to know if you would be willing to to pardon me for this. Hmm. Wow. No wonder this is so hard to do because we we assume that oh yeah she just won't apologize she won't say sorry but it's it's complex she may have said it but you didn't hear it or there may right. be she may be too vulnerable to say it or whatever this is crazy right and so my husband and I as we were working this through I was struck by how much it was like the love languages where yeah. you need to match what you're offering with what they're waiting to receive. And I'm a psychologist, so I see this kind of thing in my office a lot, where one person might have offered a certain type of apology, and then the other one says, well, she didn't apologize. And I'm confused because I I thought she did. Yeah, I thought I heard that, yeah. (laughs) Right, I realized, oh, they were missing each other because of this. So I took the idea to Gary Chapman, and he really resonated with it because he and his wife had the same difference that JT and I had where he was waiting to hear her say she was wrong and she didn't know he was waiting for anything at all. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Are there some that are more common than others? There are. The other percentages that we found were um, the first one, expressing regret or saying I'm sorry, 40% of people most want to hear that. So that was our highest. And then they go down in decreasing order of popularity from there. So um, saying I'm sorry was 40%, and I was wrong was very close with 37%. And then it drops way down to 10% is what the next two got, the making amends and the revising the plan. How are things going to change going forward? And, of course, only 3% expect that request for forgiveness. But Hmm. those 3% really want to hear it. Yeah, and they've come up to me after I've spoken at business events or other kinds of seminars. Um, sometimes a woman might come up to me with tears in her eyes, and what she says is, "Jennifer, all my life I've been called unforgiving, and I've wondered why can't I just move on? That's what people want me to do." Right. And so she says to me, "Now I understand. It isn't that I'm unforgiving; it's that I'm waiting to hear something that most people." don't offer. Oh, that's amazing. And and the healing can then begin. We, um, we're we speaking with Dr. Jennifer Thomas, co-author of the book, uh, When Sorry Isn't Enough, Making Things Right with Those You Love. We'll take a break and um, come back and continue this discussion about apologies and apologizing. Uh, go to the website with uh, drjenniferthomas.com. Uh, it's a great source of, res- of, of information um, and information about her book plus a bunch of free resources as well. Folks, stick with us. We'll come back, continue uh, understanding about uh, the best way maybe to apologize, creating the right conditions. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking uh, with Dr. Jennifer Thomas, author, co-author of the book, When Sorry Isn't Enough, Making Things Right with Those You Love. And she's teaching us the five different uh, languages of love, which 
and, and apologizing, I guess I should say, the five different languages of apologizing, it's such a powerful concept. Is it possible that when you say I'm sorry to somebody, you're not saying it in the way they want to hear it? Some people want to hear your, your accepting responsibility. Some want to just hear you expressing regret. Some want restitution, right? Some want you to talk about how you're going to change. Some actually want you to ask them if you'll forgive them for what you've done. And if you're apologizing, not using the language of the person you're trying to help, maybe it's not being seen or felt or understood. So, Dr. Jennifer Thomas, we welcome you back. Thank you for this great insight. Oh, well, thank you for having me. And it really does tie in so closely with the love language. Yeah. In fact, when, when our book was just coming out, Gary Chapman said to me, Jennifer, this is really the second essential for healthy relationships. Mm. Love languages is what I've done up to this point, and it's fantastic for helping people keep their emotional love tank full. Yeah. And he said, at the same time, people have got to be able to handle those offenses. And so he said from that day on, he really envisions himself talking about these both at the same time as those two essentials for being able to keep the relationships on track. And that's both at home and at the office. It's, and there's something just about understanding that everybody's so different that you can't just use one phrase. You can't just love someone one way and you shouldn't just apologize and assume they're going to get it. How do I go about knowing how my partner wants an apology to come? Right. Well, there are a couple of questions that you can ask them. And so your folks who are listening right now, as they go to lunch with someone or when they get home today, they can just sit their people down and ask, when you hear a really good apology, what is included? And then the flip side, when you hear an apology that totally stinks, what have they left out? And their answers are going to give you a clue to which of these five might be their apology language. Yeah, okay. I mean, and when you think about it, we, I, I might not need to figure this out with every human I come across, right? But when it comes to my spouse, that's something I can figure out. And and if I'm going right. to be with her for 50, 60 years, yeah, you probably ought to learn that. <laughs> exactly. And for those who are more the pencil and paper test types, I do have under the free resources that you mentioned on my website, that's drjenniferthomas.com, drjenniferthomas.com, the free resources tab, I have a link to an online profile for both the love languages and our apology language profile. Hmm, that's great. And, and really what an honor to be doing this with Dr. Gary Chapman because that book has changed so many marriages and then to have him tell you that he thinks this is the next lesson that has to kind of be learned for, for all of us. I mean, that's that's about as big as it gets, Jennifer. Well, it has been an exciting journey, and really I don't call it my idea. I call it an idea that came from the Lord yeah. to me and that I was to shepherd it and not um, hide it under a bushel, as it says in the Bible, right. but to let my light or that message shine. And Gary Chapman and I had met briefly through some work interactions. He lives about 30 miles away from me. And so it wasn't too big of a leap to call him up and, and ask him for a meeting. Um, and he got tickled when I shared the idea with him. He actually was relieved because so many people 
come to him because they want to have their marriages fixed. Yeah. That he thought that was what I was. Oh, he's like, oh no, about. Jennifer's marriage is falling apart. Yeah, <laughs> I know right. that feeling. That's a that's yeah. a hard thing where you're like, oh man, everyone that calls right. me is in trouble. Um, yeah. So I think he was relieved that I had actually an idea that it had worked in my marriage. And that I thought might help others. Oh, that's beautiful. And and just as a practitioner, I, I see it. I, I can already see how helpful that will be. Um, are, are there other things we should worry about when it comes to the apology? I, I mean, is there are there certain other conditions that need to be there? Um, is timing important? Anything else we should make sure we're focusing on other than the language we use? Right. I think the timing is important. You want to make sure that you're not rushed. And you want to take the time to reach out to the person in person. Yeah. That's a double person. But yeah. basically, you don't want to do this electronically. So even if you can't go face-to-face, a phone call will show more sincerity. What I like to say is that friends don't let friends text their apologies. <laughs> but, but <laughs> Jen, there's so many it. emoticons we can use now to show <laughs> right. how sorry I am. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> if you get one of those, I would say respond by saying, you know what, I'd like to talk this over with you. Can you meet me for some coffee? There you go. I believe it when I see it. Yeah. That's right. And the problem with electronic communication is that it wipes out our body language, but that's a big part of our message, right? So we want to um, not have our arms crossed. We want to sit with them in sort of an open manner and with good eye contact. And that will all help to show them how sincere we are. Yeah. And this also applies in the workplace because businesses have customers and we want to show them when we mess up that we really want to make it up to them and we don't want to keep making this mistake. And so there again, if you can train your sales agents who are face-to-face with the customers to have the body language and to continue through the apology languages, until they hit one that really seems to resonate with the customer. And when they get that nod, then they know that they've said something that really counts. Oh, it's so powerful because then you, you, then you know how we can correct probably anything. Because once you get the language right and, and you know that this is the way they want to hear it, for the rest of your profession, your life or work life with that person or your, your love life with your partner, you know right how to go to the – to the uh, the right the right language. I also wonder. Um, I mean, to some degree, a lot of the people that struggle apologizing, they're hurt. They but they're hurt because they're so vulnerable and shamed, and it's a scary endeavor to go be vulnerable enough to apologize. So, I guess as part of the discussion, that would be important to figure out why somebody's so afraid to apologize or why it's so hard for them. Right. If you absolutely just feel you cannot do it, or if your spouse says, you know, you act like apologizing costs you money and you just won't do it, yeah. then it might be a sign that you should go see someone like me. Yeah. Go to a counselor and find out, okay, what's the block that I have here? So you can be free of that. Really, it's the quality of our relationships that determines the quality and the joy in our lives. And our relationships can't be as full as they possibly could be unless we're able to show appreciation and love and to handle these problems that crop up and to really get those barriers moved out of the way. What apologies do is they 
clear out the brick walls between us and other people, and they open the doorway to forgiveness. Now, the fact is people won't always forgive us, but they create that possibility that we can move forward together with them. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful and and really hopeful for so many relationships. Uh, Dr. Jennifer Thomas, we so appreciate you. I wish we could have even more time with you. But everybody, go find the book, When Sorry Isn't Enough, Making Things Right with Those You Love. And also just go to drjenniferthomas.com, drjenniferthomas.com. Great resources there. Go take those assessments um, about uh, apologizing, um, the language test. Great stuff, folks. Really, um, we got to start somewhere, don't we? And many times the greatest place to start would be with an apology. Let's clean up the past before we try to go do something new in the future. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be visiting our good buddies down in uh, BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Beautiful uh, theme from a telenovela. Who better, what better song to use when we go see our good buddies down there at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. You like our music today? I just wonder where the awesome tracks that uh, lead (laughs) into our segments daily come from. Well, uh, we're spinning vinyl here, and uh, we always go to the vinyl expert, Don Shaline. Also, Don Shaline. Don, that was a Don Shaline pick? Don picks all of our music. He's going to be in here in one minute saying, no, I don't. <laughs> but no, that one came up by the magical Ben Wasden, who has been captivated by Tu Corazón Es Mi Corazón, which is a telenovela that he loves. Which translates to The Nino. <laughs> the Nino. Exactly. That, by the way, was RS2, which uh, just is angelic. RS2. Yeah. Yeah. Is it? It is is, you. It is you? Yeah. And the artist is? Is there an upside down question mark? (laughs) Yeah, there is on both sides. The artist Um, is? And and the answer is yes, it is you. Is it? Is it? RS2 by Mosedades. Mosedades? Oh, by uh, Selena. Is that Selena? Ah, oh, Selena. Do you remember Selena? What a sad story. That was a sad story. It right. You know what? It reminded me of the my Spanish class in high school. It reminded me of the pirates last night. Oh, Aww. did you see the dude just unleash on the Gatorade jug? Yeah, dude. That guy's, that guy's an idiot. <laughs> that you make a living with your hands and you punch a in the middle of a game. And I jug? felt bad for the jug. Social media was hilarious after like there were people tweeting out like the Gatorade jug on a gurney. As like being wheeled into the emergency room. Yeah. Like there was one major injury in the Pirates-Cubs game. You know what? Don Shaline just walked in. A bruised guys. ego. You guys talk, act normal. Don Shaline's here. Hello, Don. Hello, Don. Hey. Mosedades? Did we uh, get yeah. Mosedades? He, to he knew it was Mosedades. I used to play that on the radio, spinning it as a 45. Spinning so. vinyls. So that was your idea. It was his idea. It wasn't his idea. Was it your idea? It wasn't my idea. Why would I play Mosedades? That was Ben's idea. <laughs> Why and that not? was before Ben's time. Ben was born in like 20, what year were you born? 2010? 2012? Um, 
Yeah, 2012. No, wait, where are we? You were born in 20. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the others, but, oh, by the way, we were going, we got to go back. We were talking about the Pirates guy punching and then the fight, the break. Oh, dude, what a game. You know what I'm convinced of, and I need the, your help the on The Cubs it. won the World Series last night, apparently. Pretty much. Do you think they broke the, <laughs> did they break the Billy Goat curse? No, they gotta because win. they got to get to the win. World Series. I know, but is this the first step? Are they are they on the road? Sure, yeah. It's a, the ladder's pretty high. Will they, they t- beat the they Cardinals? They onto the ladder, and yeah. then they took a step. The, like, the, the, they're on the bottom rung of the ladder. They're yeah, working their yeah. way up the ladder. It's the last great American sports, untold American sports story. Mm. The Chicago Cubs winning the World Series. That's it. Then, then all of this kind of nostalgic, ode to the past, redemption, all this is done. Because the Red Sox won in 04. It's not like the... Some, there's no NBA team that needs to win. There's no NFL team that needs to win. Blah, blah, blah. This is it. This is it. This is the last great, vintage, nostalgic American sports story. Totally it's, with you. There's no written. NBA team that needs to win? Not to this degree. degree. Yeah. Well, none of them have a, gir- a goat curse. Like, you don't think the New York Knicks winning the NBA Finals would feel that way? I think it would feel that way. It a would get. Bit. It would. It would go that direction. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it would go yeah. that yeah. direction. But it's not to the same degree. No well, way. and a goat's not involved. Let's be real. It's about the goat, you guys. The the goat is Michael Jordan, the greatest of all time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I felt bad for the Gatorade jug. <laughs> Why? Why? What did, why? What Gatorade it, can handle it. I don't know about Powerade. Do you think Gatorade's going to sponsor the Cubs now? I'm just throwing that out. I mean, there. I know you're frustrated in that moment, but you don't really. Do that. Yeah. Why? You got hands to protect. You got kids watching. Now, here's something interesting. When I was covering the Colorado Rockies, yeah. uh, working in Colorado, Troy Tulowitzki was either it was either his rookie year or his sophomore campaign. He having a great season. Okay, up for uh, a rookie of the year candidate, uh, all star type player, shortstop. He plays for the Toronto Blue Jays now. Uh, but he got angry and slammed a bat into the ground, mm. and it sliced open his hand. <laughs> it it broke, and in a fluke thing, it it cut open his hand, and he was out for like two months. Wow! And it's just I'm I'm looking at this guy going, "Don't do it." I know. Don't do it. It's not worth it. And I I thought about that experience. Like we we had a whole segment today, a whole interview on anger management. That I think we need to send throughout the NFL, the NBA. I mean, is that presumptuous? But I think we ought to. Every time I hear the phrase anger management, I think about <laughs> Jack Nicholson and I know. Adam Sandler. And yeah. People need it. <laughs> in that movie, in the front of the car, <laughs> Adam Sandler singing, I feel pretty, oh so pretty, I feel pretty and witty and gay. Hey, two, <laughs> hey, two things. <laughs> Um, can I just can I just ask your help with something, Spence? Sure. Uh, Jerem or Jerome, uh, he's been a creeper lately. Uh oh. He comes by my window here Is he today. Staring at you again? Yes. And I'm trying to do my show, and he's eating his yogurt, and he just every spoonful he takes in like a very sumptuous way, and then he just looks at me, and and swallows his spoonful of yogurt. And gives me this weird, creepy smile, and he, it, which was funny for like twenty seconds. <laughs> I but, thought it was a mirror. I didn't even realize there was something on the other side of that. <laughs> but you were there for like four minutes, man. That was embarrassing. Four minutes. Yeah, we were timing you. Oh my God. And then you did it again yesterday in the middle of my photo shoot. I've become so immune to that stuff. Have you? 
Does he do that to what, you? Photo shoots? No, people. The, the, the weird yogurt, the weird grin. yogurt stare. It just doesn't. Anyway, just do what you can. I don't want to start a problem, but I'll, well, Don's here. I'll talk to Don about it. It's not a big deal. Listen, if we need to have an intervention, let's do it. Let's do it. Just Please don't I'll, stare through the window at Matt anymore with your yogurt. <laughs> I'm going to call Donna in from HR. Sorry, did I break some law? <laughs> yes, there's a yogurt provision. Yeah. That you have. He's, he thinks okay. a window's a mirror. But I'm laughing right at him, and he'd even smile and raise his right eyebrow, too. It's, it's not weird. you. There are no weird acts, just weird people that act. <laughs> I feel pretty. Are you, guys, are you guys doing your show today? We are doing Pro- the show. Probably. Well, uh, we we got to get you to it, but anything big we need to know about coming up? There's something going on this weekend. Uh, yeah. I can't remember what it was. BYU East Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you should not sleep on the Pirates of East Carolina. Ooh. That was good. They are a sneaky team. We will talk to their head coach, Ruffin McNeil. And if you haven't heard Ruffin McNeil, mm-hmm. I've said this a number of times this Then week. you haven't. He will be your favorite head coach or one of your favorite head coaches after Saturday. And really? You will, root for e- you will root for ECU after Saturday. Ruffin O'Neal? Ruffin, Ruffin McNeil. McNeil. McRuffin oh, Neal. I, have you ever had a McRuffin in the morning? Yeah. Mm. They're serving McRuffins all day. I can't get yeah. enough of McRuffin. Yeah. Ruffin, and then, oh, and then John McNeil. Beck's on the show as well. John wow. Beck is back okay. for his weekly segment. And Stephanie a... Ringwood from Women's Soccer. They're ranked number five right I now. Know. They're, killing. They're, they're killing it. Okay, guys, go to work. Go do your show. Thanks for, thanks for being with us. And again, Spence, thanks for helping me with Jerome. Mm-hmm. Glad to help out just, however I can. Just take Draw the yogurt away from me. <laughs> See you, Creeper. Have a good one, guys. Be good. <laughs> Have a great you. show. See you later, man. <laughs> oh, that's just scary. They give me the willies. Those guys are great. I'm telling you. Uh, Don, um, Don's here for a minute. Don. Yes, Matt. I wanted to just talk to you about the creeper looking in the window. I'm here for you. So you didn't choose that song? No. Uh, Eres tu? Yeah. But oh, you really that, did. You that, used that to play that? You used to spin that vinyl? Yeah. Yeah. I used to. And, and, you know, the great thing is it was a two-sided 45. <laughs> okay. The other side was the English version. Oh really? Yeah, they used to translate it. I it, would it like to horrible. hear the English version. It was it was very stilted. And silly, um, but... Do you miss those old days of spinning vinyl? You kind of do, you know. Ben you... thinks he's doing it now. Does he? Like I don't know where that song came from. Yeah, I didn't yeah. want to ask him. No, it, he has seen nothing to going into those old, uh, you know, the files with cardboard. Uh, yeah. Sleeves yeah. and things like that. And then the little white sleeve inside yeah. the cardboard yeah, sleeve that's right. that would you, sometimes you take that come paper out. out. Sometimes it would tear yeah. and, it, and it would create scratches on the vinyl trying to protect it. That's funny. Do you miss yeah. vinyl days? Yeah, I kind of do. They're coming back, you know. They sound different. I mean, people are buying the recorder or what are they called? The record players. Yeah, yeah. But then the thing I thought was it's the diamond. It's the diamond. Stylus. Um, yeah. That I think is what was putting them out of business. Couldn't find diamonds? Yeah, it was a, there's a problem a with A shortage diamonds. of diamond styli. Well, the, the, the thing was on those, the stylus, it would get all either clumped with dust on it, you know. Yeah, your, I remember. Your, yeah. your records aren't Hair clean. and <laughs> peanut butter from <laughs> your sandwich. Who's peanut butter is yeah. that? Yeah. Or, or in, in radio stations, because you do a thing called slip starting where you you kind of yeah. get it right cute Like a up. real DJ does now. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but it would sometimes bend the little uh, stylus. stylus, and it would get all crumpled up and things. So it'd be playing sideways. And I remember my my sister's stylus would get ruined, and she's like, "We got to go buy another diamond stylus." <laughs> Were they really diamonds, Don? Yeah, yeah, they had a little chunk of diamond in them. 
or, or you just take a safety pin and make one. Not, you, not really. But that, actually, the little kids' record That's players, exactly what they used yeah, to they, have. Yeah, they had this little pin. I remember those days. Yeah. Oh, Don, you're great. And old. Okay, so you'll work with Ben on music selection. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk. Because that really would be fun to have you come in here and spin some oldies. <laughs> that was... Well, if you'd like to hear more of that, just listen to Through the Garage Door uh, weeknights at midnight know, Eastern. Yeah, Through the Garage Door, which is, by the way, it's kind of creepy because it's like you're creeping no, through the garage door. Not, the show's creepy. not creepy, but it's just you're looking through the garage door watching yeah, a band play. Jerem comes over there and eats his yogurt Does, through, looking through that door. Yeah, go work with Jerem, okay. Don, because he just creeped me out today. We'll see. And he just stood there. Stood there. Hey, as you know, we always like to end on a hero story. But my heroes today, they really are, um, I don't know. This is a big deal because two police, remember the shooting up in Oregon at Umqua uh, Community College, two undercover cops just, they heard the shootings. They heard the, they heard the report on the, on, the, on the speaker and Joe Caney, Todd Spingath, they're on the scene after about six minutes after the first 911 call came in. When they got up there, they heard the shooting taking place. They immediately got out of their cars. They went straight up, straight into gunfire, by the way, not wearing any bulletproof vests. They were plainclothes cops, but they did have guns. And they went in there, and they uh, got in a shootout with the shooter, ended up hitting him. He then went back in, ended up taking his own life, But because of these two officers, Joe Caney and Todd Spingath, many other lives were saved. You know, they they used their lethal force and their quick action saved many lives, um, the chief of police says. So they are my heroes of the day, folks. Think of having to run into that and risk your life. So hats off to them, folks. Until tomorrow, let's watch out for each other. Let's take care of each other, protect each other. We'll be back again tomorrow. More ideas, more tools. Until then, take care of each other.